1: Hey, hey, where you been? Buck, I talk is about to
0: begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
2: Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We are in the Fawcett Center, but hopefully in a place where we won't get shushed. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, and Nathan Baird. I was listening back to one of the podcasts recently, and I think I forgot to say our names. And while I know that you love us, I think it's fair for us to reintroduce ourselves every week, in case there's somebody new, because we always welcome new listeners to Buckeye Talk. Should we go around the circle and each
1: say something we did over our summer vacations? Yes. First day of class back. I, I got this job and moved here. I went to Vegas with my friends.
2: I just ate a McDonald's hamburger in 13 seconds. Um, oh wow! You can read us at cleveland.com/osu. Drop a review on iTunes. We certainly appreciate those. We are going to get to our five headlines to kick off this Ohio State bye week, and then we have a very interesting discussion because we're going to jump right to 20. 20- 20. So you'll want to stick around for that. But number one on our list of headlines, Ryan Day was asked about the Washington Redskins job today. And I get it, um, but he's not taking it. I sat with Ryan Day uh, in his office in the spring, and we talked a lot about life and family. And sometimes people focus on jobs and they forget about families. This guy has been looking for a new home. He and his wife are both from New Hampshire, except they don't have good football teams in New Hampshire. So they had to leave. But they want to settle somewhere, and they've chosen Columbus, Ohio, so he is not leaving in a year, and as Nathan wrote, you can go read at cleveland.com, this is a better job than the Washington Redskins job right now, because first of all, the person in charge of the football team is not a crazy person, so who would want to go work for Dan Snyder? But in general, big-time college jobs pay better, you have more security, more power. It takes a lot to leave a place like Ohio State, and he's not leaving after a year, and it doesn't matter. Listen, you don't leave because your quarterback is there. Like, Ryan Day has coached a lot of quarterbacks in his life. He loves Dwayne Haskins. He's not going to go to the NFL just because Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback there. So he did not want to talk about it at all. I get why he was asked. He should have been asked. But if you're wondering about that, stop wondering. Number two, Nathan, it's a bye week. What's that mean for these guys?
1: Well, I think it means a couple of things. Number one, it's recuperation. And I know people... Automatically assume that it, it, physical recuperation, which is a big part of it, but also you just need a mental break. I mean, I, speaking for myself, uh, the, the off week is, is nice for a mental break and you still have to work. I do still have to work, but it's not quite the same grind as, and these guys still have to work too. They're, they're still doing stuff. It's not just like they, they go just sit in a bathtub or whatever and, and replenish the warm water all week and just lounge around. I mean, they're still doing physical things, but it's not quite the beating that you take in a week of a full week of practice leading into a football game on the weekends. Um, So there's that. There's the mental break. But then there's also um, the the evaluation that goes on here. And I think that's what's important as far as the other thing, which is Keeping your edge and making sure that there isn't some kind of lull that happens in in one of these weeks, you know it it's good to get mm-hmm. away it's good for these guys to get away from the team this weekend, probably go see some family if they're close enough or or whatever um, but they also you have to keep your competitive edge, and I think that's what Ryan Day talked about this week as far as like giving his assistance some assignments as far as, you know, each of your players, you need to be giving them some kind of tangible thing that they're working on this week. And it may not be a football thing. It may be academics. It may be something off the field, but something to kind of keep your competitive edge going in a week where you're actually not out there competing in football.
2: Stephen Means, number three, Nick Bosa planted a fake flag against Baker Mayfield and the Browns on Monday night. Everybody knows about it. What did the Ohio State Buckeyes think about
0: it? Because they were asked about it Tuesday. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they were asked as Ryan Day was walking out of the room. He was asked and he gave that look of like approval, but didn't want to give his actual approval. He
1: and, was walking out of the room and then that question came and then he ran out of the room. Oh, yeah. More or less.
0: And then <laughs> Kevin Wilson goes, you can't talk at the college level. So we had our chance, but we just didn't do anything about it. So the takeaway is of this. All of them are proud of it. You saw Buckeyes tweeting about it all night long last night. Jalen Holmes had something to say about it. Like, it. They all love that he did it. It's just at the college level, you can't come out and just say, I love that a player planted a, planted a flag towards a player who planted a flag on our field. It was funny,
2: but yeah, it was funny. Um, number four, Ohio State uh, is constantly in a positioning battle for the college football playoff. This is a big weekend in college football. The Buckeyes are off, but there are four games um, – where we have top 25 teams going head to head it's number six oklahoma versus number 11 texas number one alabama plays number 24 texas a&m number 10 penn state plays number 17 iowa and number five lsu plays number seven florida that's a really big one um we're gonna start getting some separation on some of these teams but nathan you are constantly every tuesday morning you're checking in with where the buckeyes would fit uh in an imaginary playoff world where do you think they would fit right now
1: for the second straight week, as I kind of look at the numbers, and I, and I use the ones that you brought back from your excursion last week to the, the to the mock playoff, we got to talk about that. That's right. Go ahead. Um, but using those and, and and what we know that the the, the CFP committee values, I, I think Ohio State is the number one seed right now. If if this if the rankings were to come out, they um, are are really highly ranked in terms of um, things like margin of victory, scoring offense, scoring defense. Um, a, a, just a lot of those metrics that we know that that the committee values, as well as relatively to the rest of the undefeated teams right now. And I think you can really only look at the undefeated teams right now because there's so many of them. Um, their their strength of schedule is actually not that bad. So, um, I, I think all those com- combining factors. I think I, Ohio State would be number one. Alabama would be number two. And the question is, as we I think we talked about uh, before on this podcast, does the committee take a team like Clemson, who would maybe be eighth? among if you look at those criteria as far as where they stack up would they still make the top four just by the virtue of being an undefeated defending national champion
2: hopefully not uh steven number five ryan day talks about toughness all the time he talked about toughness in regards to quarterback justin fields uh a lot on tuesday
0: what do you think he meant by that and what do you think fields toughness means for this team i think the play that pretty much sums up what he's talking about he kind of he alluded to it as well uh, J.K. Dobbins is running, and you see Justin Fields out ahead as if he's getting ready to lay a block on somebody. Kind of, you know, scratching his back after J.K. Dobbins did so for him a few weeks earlier. I don't know how many quarterbacks are doing that from the moment they get to a campus. I think that's something you have to develop, and he's already shown within 10 months that he's been here that he's willing to put his body on the line in situations like that. Obviously, he still has to be smart because the the talent behind him at that position isn't what he is. But the fact that he's able to, he's willing to be out there and be a blocker for a running back, the fact that he's willing to take certain hits, the fact that he's willing to lower his shoulder when it's time to lower his shoulder and have those moments, I think that's what Ryan Day is talking about more than anything else. All right. So that's it for our five headlines. Again, uh,
2: drop us an iTunes review for Buckeye Talk. Make sure you get subscribed to Project Text. Uh, Go to cleveland.com slash OSU. You can find out more about it there. You get a 14-day free trial for me to send a couple texts to you every day about Ohio State football. And it's a good way to get your questions in for the podcast. You can also go to projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. By the way, Nathan, when you type, we can hear it. We can hear it on the podcast. Did you guys hear that before? There was a cricket last week, so I think the room we're in right now, there's no cricket. Um, and we'll see how long we can be in here before we get kicked out. I'll type softer. Um, look at or, You're and, a multi, and, and less multitasking on the bye week. I admire it. Um, I want to talk about my mock committee experience for a little bit, but I want to tease people with that. We want to get to your podcast questions, and there's one I want to dig in on for a good chunk here, but let's hit some little baby questions first. Not that your question is a little baby question, but it's just not going to require us like to have a 20-minute discussion. So. To our tech subscribers from the 216, midway point, what's the biggest question mark for Justin Fields? To me, it's the deep ball. Can he be more accurate taking off the top of a defense? I feel like he's missed a couple each game. Yes, this is a nitpick in an amazing six-game stretch. Do you guys agree that that would be the thing, or would there be something else? i like, well, maybe we could do that a little better.
1: Well, I I think just his awareness still and, and some of the decisions he's made in um – when to throw the ball away and when not to throw the ball away. He's still taking too many sacks at this point, I think. Um, and, And some of that is, I think, a reflection of him maybe overcompensating and not running immediately when, you know what I mean, like taking the first opportunity to just take off from the pocket i think he's maybe just stuck in there a little bit too long but i think that's also just part of the feel that he's still trying to get i mean again this is his first year as a starter we look at someone who's accomplishing what he's accomplishing and sometimes he makes it look easy and looks like more of a veteran than he is but he's still only six games into his career as a starter six games into his career six games into playing in this system with this coach with these teammates so um still a work in progress which is a maybe the most optimistic, the most positive thing you can say about him.
0: Yeah, I would go with his ability to, like, throw against his own coverage. Like, he only has one interception this year, but, like, there was an earlier play in that Michigan State game where I'm pretty sure, like, in the same exact spot where it almost was picked off again. And he's had a f- couple of those moments this season where it probably should have been picked off. If it was a better DB, it, pro- it would have been picked off. So, I think his ability to read zone coverage just needs to improve. But that's a lot. Most dual threats have that problem early on. I do feel uh, I've
2: I've talked about this before. I like his inclination to want to make a play. I would rather have a quarterback who, who wants to try to make a play and then you try to temper that rather than have a guy who wants to get the ball out of his hands and is afraid to hold on to it. But that 16-yard sack, whatever he took in the first drive, was, was, a, was a crazy person play. Yeah. And yeah. it was like that was a and, – and again, credit to him because we admitted in the question, we agree with the questioner, we're nitpicking. Yeah. So it's like he's doing 98% of the stuff great. So we're talking about the other 2%. But that was a little window into like, man, he has that in him of I respect it. I want it. But that was off the deep end of like, you cannot turn your back to the line of scrimmage and run backwards 20 yards right. in the, in the attempt to make yeah. a play, especially right. back towards your own end zone. That close to the end zone. Um, so like, dude, like, I would have loved to like, I guess no one ever, we never asked Ryan Day specifically, like, what was the conversation like after that play? And along, I am assumed the conversation was basically, dude. And like, that was it because he knows. He knows. Right. So you don't want to take that out of him. But it's it's you've just got to be smart about it. And he has been smart about it practically every other snap of the
1: year. So well, I think one time. Could, I think they could probably even almost laugh it off. I mean you're not going to laugh about it in that moment uh, because it was the first series of the game and things looked kind of dire at that moment. Well, but after you win – yeah, after you win 34 to 10 and you're looking at it in film session, I'm going to almost like stop it and make some joke about it like, oh, here's where – where Justin had to go uh, run to the bathroom for some toilet paper yeah. or whatever, like as soon as this play was over. Like, because that's what it looked like. I mean, it was a guy who had not been, had not faced anything like that. Probably, although, probably in practice, I mean, they can't hit him live, but I'm sure there's been a couple times where he's turned around very quickly, and Chase Young is. They're saying yeah. hi, not tackling him, but yeah. just hey, how's it going? Maybe like that was Right it. in your face. So and if, and if I turned around and Cheong was in my face, I would also run twenty yards backwards. <laughs> right. so, exactly. Yeah. So so maybe, uh, but but I think it's one of those things, you, you saw what happened. I mean, you saw, in in every facet, and it's it's one of the things that's kind of maybe kind of gotten overlooked with Ohio State this year. Is there have been times where a team will something will work for a series or within the case of Michigan State their physicality the way that they were attacking things from a defensive standpoint I thought it worked really well for pretty much that whole first quarter but eventually Ohio State not only adjusts but then just overtakes that and just overcomes and now they've thrown it back in your face and they're just dominating again we, we haven't seen a game where that hasn't played out
2: all right short answer on this because I, I, I understand the question I, I just do not want to spend much time on this thoughts on the Nick Bosa flag plant from the 734 um like it's it's that's it what are our thoughts and I, and I'll expand it to this for a quick answer from both you guys what are your thoughts on both the original Baker Mayfield flag plant in 2017 in Ohio Stadium and then the a, a retaliatory Nick Bosa imaginary flag plant
1: i love all creative taunting not So there has to be some wit to it. There has to be some intelligence to it. So the the original flag plant kind of qualifies. Certainly throwing it back in the guy's face the way Nick Bosa did last night absolutely qualifies. I think both of those are fair game.
0: I love trash talk. As long as you're doing your job in both situations, the guy did his job. Baker won the game. Nick Bosa abused Baker all night. So in, if you're going to, if you're doing your job, I have no problem with you telling somebody else, Hey, I'm doing my job very well. And it's at your exp- expense. And I wrote
2: about this for Cleveland.com as a Browns column. But when you're a flag planter, which Baker is, which is, which is exactly what Cleveland needs. They needed a flag planter, someone to stand up for them. Then when you don't play well, people are going to plant flags in your faces. So, like, this is the price you pay. It shouldn't change Baker Mayfield. It's just a reminder of, like, dude, this is what you're setting yourself up for. There's a lot of good to it, too. But, um, you know, like, I know Ohio State people are, like, really mad. It's like, he they won. They won. Now, it's like, well, Ohio State went to Oklahoma in 2016 and won and beat Baker Mayfield in Norman. And, like, they didn't plant anything. They just won and went home. And that's fine, too. But... You know, I thought it was I thought it was fine all around, but I don't want to talk about it more.
1: If you're going to plant your flag, you need to be like the astronauts that actually land on the planet and plant the flag. You can't just like shoot into the sun and burn up. So yeah. Basically,
0: how Nick Bosa kept landing on Baker Mayfield. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm saying that, but but Baker Mayfield did not. He did not. He was not Magellan. He didn't actually get to his destination and get to plant the flag. He just crashed into the rocks. Yeah. I can't just drive to my house and plant a flag and be like, I got home from work today. Well, you actually did accomplish something there, though. That wasn't a failure. My whole life is a failure. Um, this, I got dark.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is a, the kind of bi week question that I particularly love and respect. And the, it's going to be something that we put zero thought into and we're going to force ourselves, um, to answer it anyway. Could someone please call up the Big Ten football standings? And then we will address this question. It is from the 206. If you had to reduce the Big Ten down to only 10 teams, who do you keep and who do you get rid of? And you have to choose from the current 14. This person says, I feel like right now you obviously boot Rutgers in Illinois. And he said, um, originally, I was thinking of this in football terms, but would be open to a discussion of all sports. So obviously, it's, it's easy to have this entire discussion on a football podcast in football season at a football school. Lean towards football, and that's not the only consideration, but frankly when they added Nebraska and Penn State and Rutgers and Maryland, like football was the main consideration. So however you guys want to think of it, let's get down to 10. And of course, can we kick out Rutgers four times? Yes. Does that yeah. Yes. Does that count?
1: But again, I, it's, I know what people are trying to say here, and we'll do this exercise, but whatever team you root for, go look at the building they just built. And thank Rutgers for it because they were part of the reason why you were able to build that. Yeah, it's, it's true. I want. Not, it's not, as, it's not as true as Ohio State. Yeah. Ohio State's going to have greater revenue, but there are nine of these teams where that's hundred percent true. They have to have that kind of revenue coming in from but, the Big Ten network to be able to do these things. I don't and know. Not just in their football facilities, but in their other facilities. I'm not an expert on the ins and outs of all that stuff.
2: You don't have to thank Rutgers for anything. <laughs> no one has to say thank you to Rutgers. That's including people who currently are at Rutgers. Yes, yes, expansion and the Big Ten Network have helped with money. Um, I don't know if the, the idea that Rutgers is going to bring in a bunch of TVs in the northeast market and that's going to help us make more money and help us expand the reach of the Big Ten Network. I don't know how much that has turned out to be true. So I don't want to give Rutgers any credit because their entire athletic program is on fire. That's not fair. Their basketball program is actually okay right now. Their football program is, in in the past 10 years, arguably as bad as any program, power five program in the country. I'm not even sure it's arguable if you're talking power five. So I would definitely kick out Rutgers I think the second team, if you're really starting from scratch, I think the second team that you kick out is Northwestern. Because they're a private school. Yeah. They don't, it's a, it's a land grant public university conference. It's the big public universities of all the schools in the Midwest. And there's this little private school that traditionally has stunk in all sports. That I, that I guess brings you in the Chicago market, maybe. I don't know. But like they're the, t- they're the one that doesn't make sense. Right. They stick out as kind of like a weird thing. Like the University of Chicago was in this thing 100 years ago, and they got out then. Northwestern could have gotten out a long time ago too, and they didn't. So that's kicking out – like you're kicking out New York and Chicago, but that's where I would start. And then the rest well, then at least – D.C.
1: too probably because you're probably kicking out Maryland.
2: I'm not – like mm. I, our, Maryland is not – Maryland's athletic program is not – awful. I think it is reasonable to want to have an eastern rival for Penn State. I get that. I think Maryland provides that. I don't know if you had to go with two of them. Like,
1: Maryland is not really a Penn State. I mean, it's one of those forced rivalries, but it's not. It gave Penn State has Penn, rivalries, has competitive football rivalries with Ohio State, well, Michigan, and Michigan State. Right, is, right. Penn
2: State, and I grew up in Pennsylvania at a time when Penn State was not in the Big Ten. There is a northeastern uh, Wow. Well. <laughs> Like that long ago. Wow. Yeah. In the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a time when, when like when Penn State – I mean Northeastern football kind of had its own thing. And so the idea of – I mean when you really do rivalries, right? I mean like Penn State is sort of stapled on to Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State because the three of them kind of have their own thing anyway. And Penn State has been interested. That's part of this. They, that's on the record or it's known that Penn State was interested in having somebody kind of out their way. So I would keep Maryland. The third team I would kick out is Purdue. Boom, Purdue guy. Again, it's it's a it's a little bit, I get it, right? But it like Indiana is the Indiana school. Right. And again in terms of like fitting, you know, like Purdue has risen to this level and if I'm not offending anybody, they have a great basketball program, but there's a world where honestly if you go back 60 years and just put Purdue like this is going to sound like offensive. How can I say it? like in the Mac and that Purdue is playing Northern Illinois and Western Michigan and and Toledo? I don't know that like that's crazy. It sounds crazy now. Yeah, but it's it's well I think what is What's the difference between Purdue and Northern
1: Illinois? Oh, no, I think there's significant differences between Purdue and Northern Illinois. No offense to either of them. Right. No, but I mean just in terms of, of – I mean Northern Illinois is not relevant as far as I know in literally any sport other than they have somewhat been ele- relevant in football. Um, Purdue is is nationally strong in a lot of sports that aren't, but, the, aren't the revenue sports. They're obviously nationally strong in, in men's basketball. I understand what you're saying. And I part think, of
2: it is uh, like schools that are nationally strong because they are in the Big Ten – Versus schools that are nationally strong sort of on their own, which is why they are in the Big Ten. If you know what, like Northwestern yeah. is not nationally strong in anything on their own. They are, they have been dragged uh, to yeah. anything that they are because they are in the Big Ten. Otherwise, they're the University of Chicago and nobody cares about University of Chicago sports.
1: What I will say is we, the way we look at Purdue right now is partially affected by not what they are, but how I want to be fair to people when I say this, how they were run for an extended period of time, I think. And I think you've seen changes in the athletic program in the last few years. Just look at what they're doing as far as how they're paying their football coach, the facilities because that they Because they're in the Big Ten. I understand, but but that's – But that applies but before to everybody they in the that. Big Ten. No, but because before they weren't doing that. Even when they were in the Big Ten before, I don't believe that they were – they were not treating their football program as if it was a Big Ten football they're program. They're only doing it
2: now because everybody in the Big Ten does it. Because everybody in the Big Ten has a boatload of money because they are in the Big Ten. But I'm saying that
1: there was a point where that wasn't true, though. Even though they were still getting all that revenue, they were not treating football the same way they are now. They they were not even investing in men's basketball the way they are now. That has been a development over the last decade. Okay, so so they're
2: behind. We're trying to kick four teams out. The question asker said we have to kick out four teams. I understand. No, I think it's it's perfectly reasonable to put Purdue on that list. They're behind Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State. Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois in those discussions because those schools were putting money into those things
0: uh, I don't know about Purdue. Minnesota. I, think, I yeah, would, I would stop was my, short of Minnesota. That year, that was right. go. they're, right. winning, they're winning this year, and their basketball team has had some decent years. But, like, they're such a roller coaster. And so like, I don't know if they're, like, ahead of where Purdue is, but I do know that they're behind the Ohio State, the Michigan States, the Penn State's of the world. They're in, like – What's the, what's the word? Purgatory. Yeah. They're in kind of like purgatory between those two places. Sometimes they're, they're really good. And then sometimes they're, they're not. It's like, like also b- very cold.
1: Yeah. See, I, in a, in a, in a, Minneapolis is my favorite Big Ten city. I love Minneapolis. I love so visiting in there, there. there, but they would probably be maybe on my list to kick out before Purdue. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe even before Illinois. It's cold.
2: I mean, but they are the land grant public university for a Midwestern state.
0: Yes. And That's fine.
1: But, but okay, but, so, but Maryland is not. But they are the – for a – They're not a Midwestern state. I they're would take Maryland before Minnesota. Program.
2: You would kick out Maryland before Minnesota? No, I, yeah, kick I out, would, I would I, take
1: Maryland okay, before – Okay, so who are we kicking Northern. out? We're kicking out
2: Rutgers is obvious. Easy. Are we kicking out Northwestern? Yes. Yes. All right. So, I would vote for
1: Maryland before I voted for Purdue. All right, so your other two
2: are who that you're kicking out?
1: I I mean, it's going to sound like I'm just being a traditionalist, but probably Maryland and Nebraska. Who are you picking out? Minnesota and Nebraska.
2: You guys are insane. Nebraska should have been in the Big Ten like a million years ago. Nebraska is practically like the most Big Ten school there is. It's just they weren't in the Big Ten for a long time. Nebraska makes like a thousand percent sense in the Big Ten now. I am kicking out Purdue and Rutgers twice. Can I kick out Rutgers? <laughs> no, you have to pick four. <laughs> no. we pick four. I will kick out Purdue and You know what, th- you know what would be hilarious because actually, you know what would be great is you kick out Ohio State you put them in the SEC <laughs> and have Ohio State go be an independent athletic <laughs> program like Notre Dame. Yeah. And you know what Ohio State would do? Make so much money. Mm -hmm. They would have their own network. The Big Ten network would cease to exist. The Big Ten would be like
0: conference usa the only thing you have to guarantee to keep is the michigan game in and last they would the season. They that's would, it everything play, else you don't
2: have to do it they'd play michigan they'd play like they'd be exactly like notre dame is right now they could make up all their own stuff they could hold everybody hostage now a couple other other teams a couple other athletic programs in the country could do the same thing texas tried to do it texas yeah. was, was ready about to, to do say, it do
1: you think notre dame is a better analogy than
2: texas well, but Texas did it, but stayed in their conference, but drove their conference into the ground by being selfish dingleberries, right. Right. which Ohio State, and I've written and said this many times, Gene Smith always says, a rising tide lifts all ships. Ohio State has sacrificed in the name of keeping this conference together and making this conference better because, all right, so my fourth thing is, I guess, Minnesota. Um, my, let's end with this. We're going to go off on some good tangents. It's the bye week. They're six and zero. They're going to make the playoff. We're going to talk next about the mock committee, and then we're going to talk about whether they're going to win the national championship in twenty twenty. It's the bye week. We're letting it rip. There's the chicken fingers question too. Chicken fingers. How much is a fourteen team conference? We are not experts on this. You know who's really good at this? You know Scott Dockerman. Mm-hmm. He's covered Iowa for a long time. He's- really
1: good on the money stuff in the Big Ten. I think he might be the best money guy. Scott Docterman once declined to give me a job that I interviewed for with him, but is now a pretty good friend of mine. Jerk. I mean, he's a jerk. He's a terrible person. Works for the Athletic now. Worked. No. In, uh, big fan of Scott Doctorman.
2: Really smart about analyzing this stuff. And if we were doing, you know, we could have him on to talk about this. But you don't want to talk about money. Talk no, he about was football. right,
1: by the way, to not give me that job.
2: So, <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> As cool. I think you're all finding out.
2: Yeah. <laughs> way yeah. to believe in yourself. <laughs> the uh, if it's a 14 team league. Let's, let's talk general value. That's monetary. That's perception of the league. That's sports influence. That's everything. The value. However you want to do it. In a 14-team Big Ten, how much of the value of the Big Ten belongs to Ohio State? 55%. More than half. Yeah. And the other 13 teams are half.
0: Yeah. No. I think so.
1: I think that's – I mean, I think, again, Michigan is also a pretty significant national brand. Sorry. They just (laughs) are. I disagree. Yeah, I not do in football. Too. They're not a
2: national brand in football right now. And they, they stink in football. And they're like, well, just yeah. because
1: they're not winning games at the same level as Ohio State. I'm talking about, you're talking about brand. You're talking about just the way people think of these teams. I think
0: Harbaugh tried to do that when he first got the job. He was bringing in all those artists, like the Jordan thing and all that I stuff. I don't think
1: it has anything. I that's mean, part of Harbaugh branding. Harbaugh is a little bit part of it because he has a name that's out there as much that's all or more than any branding, other though. coach. But, I mean, also, just, I mean... I don't know. As someone who's grown up in the footprint of the Big Ten, as someone who has covered Big Ten sports for the last yeah, but
2: that's the whole point. Twelve
1: you, years. You grew up in the footprint of the Big Ten, and you're forty. Yeah, but I also just don't what necessarily about the younger. I'm twenty. People. Okay, as but as I also guy, just don't necessarily differentiate that much of a gap between it's Ohio a, State and Michigan.
0: It's a gap. As a, like uh, oh, it's, I do. It's it's, 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 re- it's a gap. Like that's They've not been, a close
1: Michigan's thing.
2: Michigan's been good in basketball. They are a non-factor nationally in the football discussion. Now they have a Nike, they have a Nike thing. They have an Air Jordan brand. Yes, they have a brand. They have the helmets. They have Halo the Victors. They have that kind of stuff. But in terms of a current on-field brand, it's Ohio it's, State. It's and then the twenty to one Ohio State. Compared Ohio State to Michigan in, in terms of on field brand and football, which again right. is, you have to decide how much of that is your overall assessment of right. the the entire, you know, not the university, but the entire athletic program, all the
1: sports. It's men's matter, baseball, well, just, hockey, taking, got men's basketball, baseball, hockey, women's basketball. taking academics into account there,
0: I would I mean, say. Like, I would Michigan talk- is.
2: But Definitely we don't, but we don't, don't talk about just, the Big
0: Ten
1: in terms of academics.
0: Yeah, we're but, just, talking, about talking it, just, but it factors into the brand. If we're talking just sports, football has to matter a lot more
1: than, cause that's what's paying for Right, everything. but things like academics factor into a national brand. Here no, too. but we're not talking about national brand. We're talking about
2: Big Ten athletic conference brand. Cause okay. the Big Ten is an athletic conference. I know it's a consortium of public universities that share research as well, but they play sports. So we mean sports. So, um, Wake Forest has like a really good, Whatever. Academic profile, whatever. They are 3% of the ACC right now. Nobody gives two cahoots. Not cahoots.
1: Who nationally ranked in football?
2: They stink. Nobody cares. Nobody even knows who, who's their coach? Who's their coach? Oh, is it Jim Grove? Listen, if you're Literally, not. Like who it, is Wake Forest's coach? I don't know. Is it Dave Clawson? I don't even know. We're football writers. We can't <laughs> name their coach.
1: 1%. I think it's 60. You said 55. What's your yeah. number? I mean, you tell you, the other 13 put together – well, if the other 13 put together were each 5%, that would be
0: 65%. I know. Well, you have if some of them that are, like are zero. Like, like Michigan State's probably a little Rutgers, higher because they're good in football and they're good in basketball. Rutgers is like, no. There,
2: there are a lot of ones. There yeah. are a lot of ones. I want to say 42%. If if Ohio State left the Big Ten, it would be Dave Clawson. boom, nailed it. I wonder if we did all 65 Power Conference teams, how many coaches could we name? Next on Buckeye Talk.
1: (laughs) If Ohio State left the Big Ten, they would be... Yeah, but you don't think a 42% share represents
0: how screwed they would be? No. They would just
2: say, you know what, we'll go on with our other
0: 58% and we'll be fine. I think like Michigan State basketball, Tom Izzo would just become... The voice of the Big Ten. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is, but I actually thought that
2: was an interesting discussion. Okay. This is a really good question from RJ in the 513, and I like to read really interesting questions sometimes that we have just, we have just no answer to. None! I have, I don't even, I'm not even, I can't even pretend to answer this with any, I could pretend. See if you guys want to pretend. Maybe you guys have a better answer than me. I've heard a lot about Ryan Day making great adjustments leading to monster second quarter results. What are the mechanics of these adjustments? Are the coaches in the booth relating observations and collectively they talk through what they do to counter? How much credit should Day get versus the rest of the coaching staff? Should there be any cause for concern that they come out of the gate not anticipating the looks from their opponents? They've had time to adjust against weaker opponents, but in a playoff matchup, they might be down two scores before they realize what's happening. What do we think is up with the set? We know what the second quarter stats are. What is our assessment of the adjustability
1: of this team? I, in general, I think the concept of Second quarter adjustments, halftime adjustments, I think it's a little bit overblown as far as, like, a coach, like, pulling out a notepad or something and, like, scheming and, like, coming up with something. And like and sh- I don't think that is what happens <coughs> as much as when we talk to the players after the game Saturday, the acknowledgement was kind of, well, it was just a matter of, as with every game, you recognize what the other team is doing, and then you play better to counter it. That's what happened the other night. It just so happened that the team that they were playing was playing better than any of the five teams they played previously. Well so I think they was more, trying, making the point of like we didn't really adjust. He was saying that. It, well, but the players are saying it too. Like when we asked them, what did you guys see? What were you experiencing? They weren't saying like, well, um, I was really just out to lunch, and then Ryan Day came over and said, "Hey, you got to do this from now on." And then or I went. they did. were
2: blitzing from this spot that we didn't expect. Well, we they had did to say change that. our protections. They, no, they did, did say show. that. They
1: did say things like that. But it wasn't so much a coach had to come tell me that. It was more like we've been we've been coached already to do that. The coaching that happens on Saturday or the coach that happens on game day in almost any sport is usually far less important than the coaching that went into the previous six days in my opinion it's more about preparation and having because you just there's so much happening and it's happening so fast that you can't pull each guy aside and give him a 180 degree turnaround on what he's been doing to make him play better they've got to be able to just think on their feet act on their feet be kind of head on a swivel and and figure things out as they go and i think that's more what you saw that night that's not to take away from anybody's um coaching performance. I think it, that's what all sports usually typically comes down to, though. It's the players making those adjustments. And I think that's what's been maybe most impressive about Ohio State is like I was saying before, that there have been, you can go back to three or four games now where somebody's done something that's worked for a stretch of time and Ohio State just completely shuts it down. It, part, coaching is part of it, but I also think sometimes it's just these players recognizing what the other team is doing to succeed and playing in a different slash better way to choke it off.
2: I I, I do think um, I, I wouldn't read it as any kind of negative the idea of like well, why didn't they fix it to begin with I do think there is a thing that happens against Ohio State and they talk about it all the time And I and I people talk about like we're great so we get everybody's best shot so much that I hate it and like I turn off my brain when I hear it because like I get it you're good teams try to play good against you But I do think a lot of teams, knowing they're at a talent disadvantage, come in against Ohio State and say, well, we can't do the same thing we did on film because they've seen what we do on film and they're better than us. So we've got to do something different. And I do think Ohio State might get more different looks from what they've seen on film than other teams. So I do think when you get to the playoff, when you get to equal talent teams, I actually think sometimes... That part of it gets easier because Alabama is not going to do something it has never done before because Alabama believes in its talent. Georgia believes in its talent. It's an equal talent game. Yes, scheme matters and stuff, but you're not going to like make stuff up. So I think they're smart, but I also think you you have to understand that you don't exactly know what an opponent is going to do until they do it. And so I do think that this offense has—offense in particular, but also with the defense. They can play zone. They can play man. They can blitz. They can get pressure with four guys. Offensively, they can they can run it. They can throw it in different ways. I think it's a credit to them. I think you have to understand that sometimes teams are going to do some stuff they're not expecting. But I think they have enough in the bag— if you if you do something to Wisconsin, Wisconsin's not expecting. Wisconsin can't stop being Wisconsin. I think Ohio State has enough variety that I think we have to count that as a positive for them, and I think it will be a positive going forward. Stephen, I want to give you another one. We got to move on. I don't want to do three guys in every question. From the 336, would you say that the Ohio State defensive line versus Jonathan Taylor is the biggest matchup in the Big 10 this season? Again, there's the bye week, then there's at Northwestern, then Wisconsin is coming here. There are other big matchups. Iowa Penn State's a big matchup this week. You know, Michigan's going to have some big games left, but is that the biggest matchup?
0: Yeah, I think so. You've got a Heisman level guy versus like one of the best defensive lines in the country who, I mean, who has dominated everybody and had Jonathan Taylor's running all over guys. And I think Jonathan Taylor's going to come into that game with something to prove. Cause he didn't run well the last time he played Ohio state and this defensive line. I mean, th- this team in general has said all year, they got some things to prove. And I think for the defensive line, I think that's their first real challenge. You've got an offensive line, who they recruit guys who are going to be able to run block at that level because they want an NFL level running back behind them. So I think that's going to, for the defensive line itself. That's going to be their first test of the season when they go up against Wisconsin's offensive line and running back Jonathan Taylor. All right, this
2: is um, I think I agree um, from the five one three. Is this is this one guy? I think it is. This is Scott in the five one three. Is asking like a bunch of really interesting questions. It's not going to be the Scott podcast, but I do want to answer this one. All of these factors, playing Garrett Wilson and Zach Harrison, pushing the ball down the field before the half, throwing down field when up 40, seem to point to a hungry coach who wants to make a name versus a legendary coach who is willing to let relationships cloud decision-making. Is it clear to you that, that as guys covering the team that there is a new sense of urgency and a mantra with day? No. Here's the deal. We're seeing this because, and I'm going to answer this as a guy who's been around and has seen all this stuff. They're really good. So people are are – we're actually making more of some of this stuff. And so now you're looking backwards. And, and I, I'm going to keep this short because I made the pain before, point before. We are somehow now looking backwards on a three-time national championship head coach who lost nine games in seven years and being like, wow, thank God we got rid of that guy. Now we have a coach with urgency. It's wrong. Like, it's wrong. And yes, the Greg Shiano and Bill Davis hires were a problem. Yes. 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 Nathan's making sure that the thing's still recording. Yes. Yes. I get it. But I just sat in Jeff Halfley's office today. And you know what we talked about? We talked about Jeff Halfley and Ryan Day having a personal relationship that dates back to when they were young coaches and that personal relationship helping lead to the point where they are working together today at Ohio State. You know who that reminded me of? Urban Meyer and Greg Schiano who are Aww. on the trail together, they told that story all the time. You're recruiting against each other. You're walking into the into the high school. The other guy's walking out of the high school. You're recruiting all the same guys. Maybe you grab a burger together. You complain about your bosses. You you complain about all the time you spend on the road. You talk about your dreams together. Jeff Halfley and Ryan Day are Urban Meyer and Greg Schiano, 15 years younger. So, like, the idea that Ryan Day is somehow, like, it's like, well, he didn't hire his friends, like Urban. Yes, he did. He, uh-huh. Like, and Greg Schiano was like really good, and then Greg Schiano got sideways last year, and Greg Schiano did a bad job. Maybe Jeff Hafley will get sideways at some point in his career. He's also Probably. Rutgers guy. So, like, I, I just, and I think, I, I think if there's anything, if there's an underlying thing, I actually think it maybe they're a little more relaxed because Urban is. Uh, and Ryan is less uh, and uh, worked for a long time. It also helped drive Urban Meyer into retirement. And he wouldn't dispute that. And I think uh, can over time maybe gets on guys a little bit. So so like when you remove the uh, and now Ryan Day is more like a kind of a, a, a regular dude. He, he wants you to be tough, but he says he loves you. And like maybe it's just a little more chill around here, like, you might call it urgency. I actually think they might have dialed back the urgency. That actually is the biggest difference here. Not the urgency to win, but the the every day. So, like, I know know we're never going to stop looking for it. We're never going to stop looking for the differences. But a lot of the differences are the defensive coaches are coaching better, and it just so happened that this quarterback can run and the one last year couldn't. And I also want to get into this at some point because, like, we are really heading down the road, I think, as a beat of, like, isn't it great to have the run game back? Isn't it great? And, like, I want us to stop for a moment and be like, okay, but remember when they scored 50 (laughs) points every game last year?
0: Like, remember, I mean, we, we don't. They hard. ran for 2,000 I mean, they're yards averaging their top two running backs. They're averaging 49.3 yards, I mean, points right now. So it's not okay, like, what do not. they have?
2: No, but everyone is acting like this is better. Oh. It's like, oh, thank God we got rid of Dwayne Haskins so oh, we no. can get the run game back. It's like. Okay, this is really good. They ran for a lot of yards last season, and they didn't run as they did not run as effectively. I said something on one of the podcasts, and Landis told me later he wanted to jump through the radio and strangle me because like their yards per carry were not as high. True, last, true, you know? true, true. They were not as generally effective. They were not as dangerous. You know where they were dangerous? Freaking throwing the ball. You, right.
0: you were threw fifty touchdown passes in a season. Right. They threw fifty passes. So, so that's, I, I guess get that's it. my
1: point. Is it wouldn't have? I mean, it's not like they didn't run the ball last year, but it also wouldn't have made sense to run the ball more. Why would you it wasn't You had an it NFL quarterback. They weren't,
2: they weren't built that way. They weren't built to right. do it. You're yeah. You had an NFL quarterback. You had multiple NFL receivers. And the, and the reason they didn't do it as well is because they weren't built to it. Because Dwayne right. wasn't built to do it, whatever. But if Ryan Day could have had Dwayne Haskins back this year, he would have taken him every day of the week. So nobody was in a hurry to get rid of Dwayne Haskins. Like, right. well, finally got we got rid of that guy who throws it really well, so we can get back to running
1: the ball. Like, but this is great. Yeah. If Dwayne Haskins had not left, there would not be people right now. Justin would be here at six and zero, saying it's too bad he didn't leave, so we could go have this unproven guy like, personnel right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, like, I, I, I
2: just—it's the same point I've been making over and over again. Like, there are yes, like yes, Ryan Day is great. Yes, Justin Fields is great, but. Also, for like a quarter last night, or on Saturday night, I was like, hmm, this is gonna feel weird to all the people who were like, thank goodness we got rid of Urban Meyer and Dwayne Haskins because Ryan Day's never gonna lose a game he's not supposed to lose. And I was like, maybe he's gonna lose one tonight. Now, the point is, they got it back together. You know who also got it together and won a lot of games? Urban Meyer. So I just I don't want to have to do it every week on the podcast, but I'll do it as long as you guys keep asking. You will be the armor that Urban Meyer needs. But it's not. But it's like it's sanity. I mean, for real, they were great. They were great. Nick Bosa got kicked out of a game. Rondell Moore is a freak. Jeff Brom is really good. Nobody wins all their games. It is very hard to have the discussion while Ryan Day is undefeated. As we have also noted, Urban Meyer was 24-0. and 0. So, like, it's been—it's great. It is taking—I'm not taking away anything from right now. Right now is unbelievable. But back then was also unbelievable. So please don't trick yourself into thinking— well, this is something that's never happened at Ohio State. It's happened. They've had really good teams before, and they've had really good teams the past couple of years. And most
1: teams don't go undefeated. I mean, if if North Carolina runs a better play on that two-point conversion, is it time to fire Diablo Swinney like, and replace was, him with
2: a young up-and-coming? Yeah, right.
1: I mean, I just don't. Oh, we, let's have some here. perspective. Let's have some big-picture perspective. So start
2: it off. I, I get it, and I get it, and and I like talking about it, but I can't well, you like talking. I I can't. I mean, if someone asked me about the difference between curly fries and regular fries, I would have a 15 minute rant about it. So yes. This is also from Scott in the 513. You guys can answer this one because my voice hurts. How much does a Friday night game in the Chicago area screw
0: up your week next week? Will we get an earlier Buckeye talk? I mean, yes to the earlier Buckeye talk. I mean, it'd be cool if the game was at home because it's like, then you got your Saturday in to like, Live your life, but we're gonna be traveling on Saturday. Well,
1: we're gonna be traveling on a Saturday, but we'll be home by like noon on Saturday. Yeah,
0: but you do not get, you know, like I get the cool thing about the bye week. You get to sit down, you get to watch college game day, enjoy like that slate of games. There's a lot of good football games. You know, you don't you don't get to do that after a, we're gonna be working all night, and then like you get up and we're gonna get on a plane and we're gonna get home by like three thirty, four o'clock. And no, I mean my my our flight lands at like we'll, we'll be watching
1: college game day on Saturday. Next is your week. flight like at 8 a.m. or something? It's, a, it's a pretty early flight, no, I think. No.
0: Oh, yeah, it is. It is it's not like it gets, 7. Yeah. It is at 7.
1: You're right. I think it gets back. are I, right. I think we're home by like noon. It's You're right. Really, or even earlier than that. I think we're going to have a full day of football to watch, yeah. go have dinner that night or whatever Everything I just said. With, with your significant others if you have them. And, um, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have no problem. If would say wanted to play Friday night <laughs> games all week, I'd be fine with it. The, the main thing, whether it's Friday or Saturday, road games at night screw you up. Yeah, because you don't, well,
2: just night games in general are tough. Well, like, like, we got it, to
0: go, but we got to go home this past weekend. We're you're not still going. We're going. Yeah, really, but you're not really. going, at least like. When you're, but then that, you can
2: sleep later. When yeah. you're home, you can at least sleep late the next day. When you have That's to get true. up to travel on yeah. the road, yeah. and it screws up teams. I mean, like we are a tiny little. Nobody cares about us. You don't care. You don't care what happens to us. Our families barely care what happens to us. But we are a tiny microcosm of what these teenagers are going through, and you're. You're getting home at 4 o'clock in the morning off a plane flight, and it messes up your whole week. I'm 46 years old. I swear the, I was messed up for a week from the Nebraska trip because it yep. was on the road at night, and then you had to travel. And it is hard to get your well, body back on shape.
1: But that was also – not to go too inside baseball on this, but we booked the return travel from that before we found out it was a night game. So we probably, if we had known what time the game was, might not have booked a first thing in the morning flight back to Nebraska. I
0: also had a voyage in getting there in the first place.
1: That's true. Nathan had – or Stephen slept in the
2: airport on the way there. (laughs) Um, All right. I want to – I'm going to answer this one too. My voice is back so I can talk for another 30 minutes. Oh, good. From (laughs) – From Scotty G in SoCal, I live in L.A. and there are tons of rumors about Urban coming to USC, and nearly everyone assumes that if he does, USC will automatically return them to their glory days under Pete Carroll. I have my doubts because I think Urban's coaching style may not be as effective with the young kids today as it once was, and I think from a scheme perspective, he's not as innovative as the new offensive gurus in L.A. We don't have to look to find another high-profile coach who was recently brought to UCLA to return them to glory, but has thus far failed failed miserably. What do you think? This is my short answer on this. If he goes, he'll be great. I don't know if he'll win immediately. It's all about recruiting. He will recruit like a maniac there. He will dominate Southern California. He has always recruited at a different. He has recruited at a level that no one can match, other than Sabin. Saban's the only one who's been better. Chip Kelly was getting three-star guys and putting them in a system. Joe, Chip Kelly, in a lot of ways, was the Joe Tiller of the West. He had a system that was rare and unique, and he worked it around three-star guys at Oregon. And as soon as everybody, and it's like it's like anything. There was a there was a, a bar in Buffalo that invented buffalo wings. And now, if you go back to the place where they originally invented buffalo wings, they're not that great. They're fine. Because everybody stole their recipes. Is that real? Yeah, Anchor Bar in Buffalo. It's like people will tell you, oh, like, wow. don't go there. It's a tourist trap because, like, and the wings aren't even that good. There's a better one down the street. But it's like I go there and show my respect. To the OG of that, wings,
0: that makes sense. Why they called? Bu- I always wonder why they were called buffalo wings. Oh yeah, you, you thought they were actually buffalo. When I was a kid, I did. I yeah. genuinely co- thought they were that buffaloes had wings. It's like humans, like
2: yeah, buffaloes used to be these beautiful flying furry yeah, right. cows, and then ravenous bu- hungry humans cut their
0: wings off. because <laughs> yeah, like Bub's do- like whole logo is a buffalo. So uh-huh. like when you're seven years old and you see that, you go, Yo, where are the wings on these buffaloes?
1: So do you go to Panda Express and order the panda?
0: Oh, I would. I would. No, because would- like that's like that's a. <laughs> Somebody who probably I would crush a dad. panda.
2: I would eat. I bet you it's. I bet you it's. Uh, I bet you it sticks in your teeth. Gamey. Probably. Wow. Urban will recruit much better. It's not scheme oriented. And here's the thing. And this. So I think if he does go, he will do very, very well. There's a vacuum there. I don't think it's. I don't think it's such an obvious thing that he has to go. Just saw him in the hallway again today and was talking to somebody about how good he looks and how happy he seems. If he goes, he will do well. Um. Recruiting is the deal, but in terms of like, well, he won't succeed because he doesn't have the offensive innovation of Ryan Day. You mean he doesn't have the offensive innovation of the guy he hired to run his offense? He will hire somebody with innovation. And maybe having learned from Ryan Day, maybe he'll give him even more freedom. He gave Ryan Day more freedom last year than he'd ever given an offensive coordinator, and it killed him. He was like, I've never given up this much control before. But he did it because they, first they had a passing quarterback, and Urban's been a guy who always had a running quarterback, and he knew Ryan Day had more expertise there. And I'm not so sure that if Urban wasn't the head coach right now and Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator, they wouldn't have made part of this evolution anyway because I think Ryan Day, the more comfortable you get, the more power you earn in your job. Minus has said to Urban, listen, man, I'm telling you, We do some under center stuff. We do a little play action off of this. We start going under center 15% of the time, run more 12 personnel. I'm telling you, it will work. And you know what a smart coach would do? Say, okay, go do your thing. So you know who else he hired? He hired Tom Herman, who was an offensive innovator. Urban Meyer had never run up-tempo anything. He was out of coaching for a year. And he said, you know what? The game has changed, and I'm not familiar with this. Hmm, what should I do? Maybe go hire the smartest guy in the country who does this? So they're not going to be running. Urban Meyer will go steal yeah. someone else's good idea.
1: Somewhere there is a guy who's a quarterbacks coach in the NFL, like Ryan Day was, or an assist, or an offensive coordinator at name your next level down program right now that's just waiting to be who he's going to be someday, and it's a matter of does Urban Meyer, the head coach, that hires him to be that or to be that next step, or is it someone else? Coaches do that all the time. Yeah, you, a they all get coach, to where they coach,
2: you don't have to be great at everything. You have to run a program and provide structure, and then be really good at hiring people. And Urban, for the most part, was really good at hiring people. He also had some terrible ones. He had a lot of really good ones, and I think if he went to USC, there would be people lined up to work for him.
0: He lost nine times, and like I mean, that equivalent is like how many times he's made a bad hire. Yeah, I mean, it's like right. I mean, I can. Want me to run through them right now? Nobody wants to do that,
2: but I I would be happy to do. <laughs> you
1: it. Just go back and listen to every other episode. of yeah. this for the last couple of you years. You guys know
2: what they are. What's where are we on time by the way?
1: It is four thirty four. No, but how how long have we been recording? Fifty minutes. Oh, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Fifty one minutes.
2: Fifty one minutes.
1: This will just be the rest of the podcast.
2: Are you anymore? I'm trying to do the pause for the ad because I haven't been doing the long enough pause. And I cut off the other day. Steven said, impressive. And you said, and that's why they've been really impressed. Ding a ding a ding a ding. (laughs) On the, on, and it was an ad. I heard an ad to like listen to, like watch a show like on the, on the CW or something on Mm. our podcast. I was so excited. It was like, they've been really impressed. Ding a ding a ding. (laughs) Watch on the O, the OC on the CW. And then we came back. So like, I'm trying to add in. Just like the, hey, just be cool, and there might be an ad here. Pause. All right, we're cool. So um, I want to keep going with the questions before we dig on another thing. You guys can both answer this, and I'll take a break. From the 616, are there any teams Ohio State should begin to cheer for or cheer against? Is there like a team that they should be cheering for to lose, or should we just focus on enjoying football, knowing that Ohio State is going to make the playoff?
1: No, you want every team to win as many games as it can, except when they're playing Ohio State. There's no reason to root in the it Big gets, Ten. In, in but, the Big Ten, but, yeah. But,
2: but nationally, is there are there particular Clemson.
1: national Clemson would be one, and and really just in Oklahoma would be another one. I think um, you want as many of those non-SEC schools teams who you know are going to be up there at the top and are going to have chances to beat each other, which might negate how much each of those losses hurt them in some ways. You want some of these other teams to also have one loss on their resume in case something happens with Ohio State. So Clemson, Oklahoma. um,
0: I root for even the SEC teams because like, we had a whole discussion about like could two one-loss SEC teams get in over a one-loss Ohio State team is? Well, if like, they both, if two SEC teams already have one loss going into the SEC championship game, now one's got two losses and Ohio State has one loss if they do get a loss. So like, yeah, yeah. I root for those losses, the only team I would root for to keep winning at this point is well, Wisconsin. Because, two losses definitely knocks you out though. I know, I know, but like, you know, for the sake of the conversation we had about one loss SEC teams, I think the only team that like, You want to keep winning before they play you is Wisconsin. Because if Wisconsin's like a number six or number seven team in the country by the time you play them and then you blow, you blow them out the way you've been blowing everybody else out. I mean, that's, we're in a whole different conversation now.
1: Yeah. And I just, whether a team wins its other games before it plays you doesn't really affect, I don't think, whether or not. No, but it you does matter. So, when, well, but that's what I'm saying that's why I think both Wisconsin. I think you want everybody else on your schedule. Now they're going to be playing each other, so it's not going to work. But like you know, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan State. Um, the best thing for Ohio State is for them all to have had the best possible seasons they can have, other than Ohio State beating them in those head-to-head yeah, head games. And I
2: think, but but I think if Ohio State goes undefeated, they're in. Because they are the eye test. Correct, whatsoever.
1: but you also you also want to maximize your but.
2: But in a world where there's five undefeated teams, the, the if they are if they are undefeated, they're in. They're not going to lose out to other undefeated teams. And I think we talked about this before. Right. The one scenario, I think there's one scenario, short of catastrophe, in which they don't make the playoff, and it's that Oklahoma, Clemson, Clemson are both undefeated champions. And the SEC championship game is undefeated Georgia versus the undefeated division champ of Alabama LSU. And one loss of Big Ten champ Ohio State is not getting in, doesn't get in ahead of undefeated Clemson SEC champ or Oklahoma. And it comes down to just like it did in 2017. It comes down to Ohio State as a Big Ten champ against the second SEC team. And that's – and in a scenario where, where especially if that SEC team is is Bama having beaten LSU and Auburn, being undefeated, being number one all year, they lose to Georgia. And now you're Alabama against Ohio State for that last spot, which is exactly how it was in 2017.
1: Now, in 2017, Ohio
2: State had two losses.
1: Well, and but, depending, on, depending on who that lost to, I'm going to go ahead and throw – you could also be talking about a, a one-loss Notre Dame team in that – in that scenario where their only loss is a competitive too. road loss at Georgia. So, but I think you, you
2: want to wipe out that scenario. So whether that's a Clemson, whether it's Clemson or Oklahoma no longer being undefeated or at least somebody in the SEC taking some losses. But bottom line is Ohio State, if they're undefeated, they're in. Because I think we said, but well, because if they're undefeated, they're going to be number one. Like if yeah. they're undefeated, they're, yeah. they're going to leave out undefeated Clemson or undefeated right. Oklahoma or undefeated somebody else. They're not leaving out undefeated Ohio State. So you just you I would root for I would root for the SEC championship game to not
1: be undefeated versus undefeated. I would also start rooting for Auburn. That's a team that's already got one loss on its resume. So you're going to be ahead of them. Yep. And now you want Auburn to start knocking off LSU, Alabama, whoever they might yeah. play from the East. That helps produce. I think or, that's or, the oh, way I'll to
2: Which non-starters are you already excited about seeing more of next year? I think Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai have looked great in rotational action so far at defensive tackle. Could be a dominant tandem next year. That's from the 216, and that's going to lead us into this other discussion we're going to have. But let's focus on just like a one answer on that. If there's a non-starter that like particularly intrigues you for 2020. Wilson. Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson. That's a good answer.
1: Uh, Zach Harrison.
2: Good answer. 8-4-3, Eight four three. 3 as a football team, you can't play your best every Saturday, so I, I wonder when they will play their bad game or have they already? Do you believe...
1: This was not a bad game. Yeah. They had a, they had a rough first quarter against a really good team. And then
0: they put up 600 yards almost yeah. in three quarters. That I, I, was a great game on I don't, Saturday. I don't think they have a bad game. I think they have like bad, a bad stretch in them. That's like they're, I think that's something that they're capable of doing every week is having a bad stretch, whether it's at the beginning of the game, at the, in the whether it happens in the second quarter, third quarter. I think they're capable of that and whatever. It, how they bounce back from that and how they play around that that bad stretch is usually what decides games for them and so far it's led to blowouts a,
1: a bad game is what happened with like what Cincinnati did against Ohio State where you just for whatever reason you get smacked in the mouth early and, and it throws Broncos you off and rolling. you just cannot you cannot get out of your own way and all of a sudden it's 42 to nothing yeah. or what i guess suppose what happened to Ohio State the last couple of years in those those road losses but this team just seems so much more balanced Seems so much more balanced and so much more elite at so many different places. I hate using that word, but um, it, like we've talked about before, just they, they've been consistently making adjustments to what opponents do well.
0: We would have seen already, like the reason why, like oh, that's if they lose a game, that's going to be the reason. whether it's the defense, whether it's their inability to throw the ball downfield, run the ball. We would have see, in six games you see, oh, at some point that's going to cost them a game.
2: Yeah, no, I think I agree. And again, there, I, I, as I've made the point many times in years past, you would have those things mm-hmm. that you'd be pointing out. Well, that thing, that part of the team might get screwy. Because right now, point.
1: that's what the people who can cover who cover Clemson can start saying those things. Be like, oh, you know, they've already come close once, and these couple things, you know, right. are maybe going to bite them. And, and I mean, you can't really say that about Ohio State right now. First-time texter, three-year
2: listener from the 513. Do you think the total – do you think the lack of total passing volume could potentially cause some decommits from the 2020 receiver class? On the other hand, could J.K.'s explosion help flip a high-ranked running back into the 2020
0: class? I think more than – I think J.K.'s is really good, until they're giving him the ball this year. I don't – this goes back to the Master T. J.K. thing. I don't think Master T. is as good as J.K. is. No, but talk about recruiting. And And so – no, I'm getting there. The the reason why I think – They'll throw I think they're going to throw the ball more next year than they did this year one because Justin Fields will already have a year under his okay, belt. Okay, but that's system. but you're
2: not getting to the point.
0: Are they going to flip a 2020 running back because JK's going
2: nuts? I don't think so, no. I think they could. They're running the ball like a maniac. And we just talked about last year they didn't have a good yard per carry and all that stuff. Wouldn't you want to be a running back in yeah, this office? Yeah, but in
0: the question of are will they flip are they do they have a better chance of flipping a running back or losing a wide receiver who's already committed? I'm saying that they're not as likely to lose a wide receiver. I don't think they're going to lose a receiver. That's what I yeah. because those
2: He didn't say either or though. There are two things in the question. You don't have to pick one or the other. I don't. Do okay. we think
1: they'll lose a receiver? I don't no. because I think they already. This is already not a receiver. This is not a volume receptions offense. It wasn't before. It isn't right now, and it's probably not going to be next they year. They share playing time. They yeah. spread it around so much. So you've already started recruiting. In theory, you would hope started recruiting guys who, through your relationship you build with them, fit that mold. The There's an unselfishness there. There's a team first whatever. You don't have to do it necessarily at every position, but at receiver you do because that's just the way that this offense is created. So I would be surprised if that were an issue. The other one, it's not as easy as, well, this guy's running ball real well now, so you can go – flip guys um it, Why it's not it's, it's there's more nuance to it than that well there's the timing of it the fact that we're in october already there's yeah, the fl- fact flips that flips are late flips, yeah. Flips, yeah. that's they, the whole they, point of it. understand got, i understand had
0: a quarterback flip on signing day last i understand
1: year. but i also think that those it's 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 also not as easy as a guy wakes up a week before signing day and just starts looking around at what teams have guys who are running the ball well, like, I'm go well. Yeah. i think it's about <laughs> it's more nuanced than that it's the relationships that already exist with these guys and how, now again, some of that's happening this week. This week is a big recruiting week. This is where, you know, the the off week is not an off week for these coaches. They're all, all over the country and they're checking in with guys who are already committed. They're going after guys in the next class. Um, I, I, just, I'm not, I'm not gonna just make a snap call and say, yeah, they definitely can. I think it's, it's a lot more nuanced than that. It's a case by case basis. I don't like to make blanket statements in recruiting. No, it but really is. there is no blanket, but do you
2: think the fact that JK is going crazy increases the chances?
1: I think it helps them a lot more in 2021 than it does as far as flipping a potential guy in 2020.
2: I don't know. I mean, it, I don't know if I agree with that because I think there was a, perhaps a misperception that Ryan Day was like a passing coach based on the way things went last year. And that, again, I, I thought they should have been able to get a good running back based off last year because they had 2,000-yard backs. But their yards per carry wasn't very good. It didn't always look great when they ran the ball. It looks great when they're running the ball right now. Oh. And I think if you were a top-shelf running back who had them in mind, I think they have to move more to the front of your mind because you're seeing really what a running back can do in this Ryan Day offense more than you saw it last year.
1: Maybe, but the two things that I would bring up is number one, like you said, there was our, there was maybe a perception of Day as more of a pass first quarterback, and that is what this twenty twenty class was recruited on, and the way people recruited against Ohio State at the same time. So I th- again, I think, I, I think that people have their impressions already set before they commit. I don't. I know you're talking about flipping, but you're, I just I, I just you're, feel you're, like I'm not. I'm not trying to be. You tell me if I'm like it's flip Bill around here.
2: Like, I, like, that's, you have to, like, this is what big programs do. Right. Get their guys, and then they go to the guys who are at other programs, and they steal their girlfriends two days before signing day. All the time.
1: I understand, but I also know that when you're out, when you're coming off of a thing where you've got 2,000 yard rushers, but they also maybe didn't run that ball, where you're talking about the yards per carry, that can be just as much of a positive when you're out recruiting running backs as it is a negative. Because you can say, hey, we didn't have the guys we need. You're the guy we need. But I think it was more,
2: they would have thought it was more scheme related. That they thought the way Ohio State played offense yeah. maybe wasn't as
1: running back friendly as it's looking with JK right now. Here's Ohio State. But you're also projecting for what this could look like next year if JK is not here, but then do they rely more on their receivers next year? Again, I just don't know that I look at, if I'm back, I don't necessarily look at what Ohio State's doing this year considering what they looked like last year and the unpredictability of what they could yeah. look like next year and say that makes it more likely that I will just be the next JK Dobbins. They could look, the offense could look very different next year.
2: Yeah, they're 18. They definitely look at right now and think that. Ohio State's the good-looking guy, and they've always been good-looking, and they were like, yeah, you're good-looking, I mean, some, but you're not right Some for guys me.
1: have advisors that are savvy with this stuff, and
2: some yeah, guys don't. But, but Ohio State flips guys at position of need as a matter of course, and that's the thing they need the most right now. And, I mean, they – in this class, in the 2020 recruiting class, it's not even in debate. The thing they need the most is a big-time running back. They have everything else. You can't even – you're like – I mean, it's not even close. It, they don't have a running back right now. It's fine. They I, have everything else. I
1: feel like we've had this conversation on this You think they need something
2: before. more in 2020?
1: No, but I also don't think that it's this urgency to go get a five-star guy. Because, number one, five-star doesn't mean you necessarily produce. Number two, they've got Master Teague. They've got – Marcus Other true Crowley freshmen. and
2: Steel Chambers. That we're gonna have to, we're, we're we will continue to have this debate. Debate. This is five star land, and like I get it, I get it. I understand. It. Like Jeff Okuda is a five star. Chase Young is a five star. If you can get the Chase Young of running backs, you go get him. It's not a guarantee. I'd sure take the chase, but I also, but again, this
1: goes back. We've had discussion. I don't think they have to get the Chase Young of running backs in order for two years from now to have a productive offense.
2: You know who was the Chase Young of running backs? J.K. Dobbins.
0: He wasn't a five star.
2: He was the forty sixth ranked player in the country. They don't have a running back on this roster who was the forty sixth ranked player in the country in their running class. But
1: when they did last year, their running back, their running game was because the eh. scheme didn't allow them to
2: do am it that saying well
0: I I think the scheme isn't going to be what it is this year and it's going to be maybe more pass heavy next year after their quarterback has a full year of being here that's what my argument
2: is and that the running backs in the 2020 class are analyzing it that way and saying like therefore I won't go to Ohio
0: state I think the smart ones me. have somebody who is at least telling them that whether they're obviously they're 18 so that's not what their whole focus is on but I do think that a smart five-star running back has the night top. At least somebody has said that to them, that "Hmm, maybe it goes back the next year when you have a quarterback who's got a full year of experience under his belt and he's got this big crop of wide receivers coming in. That's
2: what I'm saying. I don't think they'll lose receivers. I think it's an interesting question about whether they would lose receivers, but I think just Heartline has those guys locked up. Yeah. I think Heartline— And there's enough people leaving this year that a lot of these guys get on the field next year. Does relationships— Really well. And Ohio State doesn't often and, – and, and someone's going to come up with the example that I'm not thinking of. I mean I guess the safety last year. Who's the guy who's playing at Alabama right now that they really liked and they lost? That's a wonderful when question. Urban left – I think it was a California kid who went to Alabama. I should know it. I was the one who was here. I should know it. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Usually when they have guys flip, it's because they've lost interest in the kid. And they sort of lost. They didn't really lose the guy. Like they're fine losing the guy. They just don't have lots of guys flip away from them, but they often find ways to flip guys they really need. So I don't think they'll lose a receiver because Heartline Jordan Battle. Jordan Battle. What was he in the country? What was his national rank? He's a
0: 43rd, four star, second best safety in the class behind Axon Hill in Michigan. Really good.
2: And they really wanted him and they lost him. But that was also, that was coaching transition, I think, was a chunk of that. So I don't think they'll lose a receiver. I think they have more, and now I'm sounding like them, they have more testimony to go show a top 100 running back. Look, look at what J.K. Dobbins is doing. If you had any hesitation about the way you could succeed here, we have 400 highlights, including this 67-yard touchdown run where our offensive line made a hallway for him. Think about yourself making that run. And they didn't have as much testimony last year to show. Again, I thought they had enough and I thought they should have been able to lock down one of these guys earlier. Of all the things that have not gone right in the Ryan Day era, I think that's at the top of the list, that they had a bunch of these running backs interested. Kendall Milton, B. John Robinson, I can't think of the Florida kid's name. What's the Florida kid's name? They they had these guys very interested and could not lock down any of them. Even the kid from Ohio committed to Arizona State. They had all these Jaylen guys. Knighton. Jalen Knighton. They had all these guys interested and and whiffed. I think that's the number one thing that has gone wrong. Again, I'm the nitpicking thing because of course it's nitpicking because everything else has
0: gone right. We might miss out on another Ohio kid who's looking like he's leaning more Kentucky than he is Ohio State at this point. So Michael Drennan. right? But again, again, let's
2: see. I mean, there have not been a ton of kids in the history of Ohio State recruiting who, yeah, who have it's been just... wanted by Ohio State and have yeah, stayed no, I mean, with like, Kentucky. This like saying
0: where things are now. Like obviously, anything can change.
2: <clears throat> Most of the time, I mean, when Ohio State had guys leave and go to Kentucky, guys who had Ohio State offers just because they didn't have committable offers to Ohio State. So I would not be shocked. I don't think they're going to get Kendall Milton or B. John Robinson. I would not be shocked at a flip of a pretty good guy at running back. And I think what is happening on the field with J.K. Dobbins is increasing the chances of that happening. That was a good argument. People like the fights. Like, you guys are sitting there. (laughs) You are such a jerk. That's the whole point. We've had like three arguments. I told Halfley. I told Halfley. I went in and talked to Halfley today. And and I would said like the – he got asked about like leaving for a job the other week and then I said, we're asking about Rutgers. And he like didn't answer. And I was like, I'm just being a jerk. I'm just being a jerk because sometimes when you're a jerk, things get interesting. And I will say I stand behind my jerkitude at every point of it because I'm never a fake jerk. I just allow myself to be the jerk that I really am inside. This is the question we wanted to get to in the 615. It's not quite as on the nose as I presented it to you guys, but it's the question we want to get to. And maybe we might actually
0: have to write stuff down. I so, did. I started. The, go ahead and ask the question. And I started a list. And like, you guys can tell me I'm stupid. Well, no, you can't. You can tell me where I'm oh, wrong. Oh, no, we'll fight. Where I'm right. The listeners love it. I'm just going to say it preemptively. I've got Steven, some. Steven, you idiot. <laughs> I've got some pinned in guys. OK, so, so here's the can. question.
2: And we're going to spend some time on this. Then we'll get to the mock committee stuff. And then we'll get to more of your questions. We've got some, man. Don't just. Do you feel it settling in the three-man pod? It's settling
0: in. Nathan is just staring. The tripod. <laughs> if you will. Me. Hey. Tripod. Ooh, good. Yeah. I don't know why I'm pointing like people. Can we see swear what I'm we're gonna get. At. We
2: swear we're gonna get better mics. <laughs>
0: I love it. Nathan is looking
2: at me like, God, I hate you right now. And that is telling me that this episode is going very well. You don't know how many times people on great episodes of this podcast have looked at me like they want to kill me. Is this the best chance Ohio State has to win a national championship with this group of players and coaches? It sounds like some teams are going for this coaching staff already. That is from the 615 and i'm trying to look i there might there might be a more specific question and i'll look for it now but the way that we want to look at this question is we want to think about and and we're going to make the question this and i swear maybe we had this question too like what what is the better chance here's the actual question from the 615 i feel like it might be the same person is this the best chance ohio state has to win a national Nash- no that's the same question oh wow they sent it twice okay so they did send it they twice they made sure we were going to talk about this okay is this the best chance so so we can't look too much into the future and i don't i think it would be silly because we don't know what's going to happen with jack miller we don't know who the quarterback we don't know what transfer quarterback might show up but we think you know jack miller will be the quarterback the starting quarterback here In 2021, maybe Kyle McCord is a true freshman. Who knows? But that is such an important thing. And it's funny. I think there was a time on this podcast when we went back and we tried to line up who we think the starting quarterbacks were going to be for the next five years. And I'll tell you, there were a lot of Tate Martell answers in those years. So you don't know what's going to happen at quarterback. But at most of the other positions, you do see it coming. Like that's the part of this whole thing about this team is other than quarterback and other than the coaching change, we all saw this coming. We saw Chase Young coming. We saw Jeff Okuda coming. We saw the way they recruited this offensive line. So it doesn't make this a surprise in those terms. You just didn't know what the coaching quarterback would do. So the question has to be, let's compare 2019 to 2020. The best chance to win it, is it next year or this year? So let's do that. Let's first discuss the coaching and get that out of the way. And then we want to run through the projected starting lineup in 2020, which will be an interesting exercise anyway. Jeff Halfley has a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Again, I talked to him today. I'm going to write this this week. He came here because he trusted Ryan Day. He came here because he wanted to build something for a little bit. He wants to be a head coach. No doubt about it. I don't think he wants to be a head coach in 2020. I think guys want to come. And unless stuff is something's wrong, like with Alex Grinch, something was wrong. He didn't like the way things went here. If you like it here, we've talked a lot about the two-year commitment that Urban always asked for assistance to have that. I think Ryan was even asked about that a couple weeks ago. But like they want a two-year commitment. They don't want to move their family in one year. You'd rather be there for at least two years and maybe four years. And when I was talking to Jeff Halfley today, I brought up Kirby Smart. Said Kirby Smart passed up a zillion jobs on his way to getting to take over one of the best top one of the best five programs in the country, and being a well-paid. Big t- coordinator at a big time school is a pretty good job, and you do not want to go for the wrong job. So this is just like the kind of stuff you talk about. So bottom line is, yes, he's the best example. People are coming for him. Nobody's going anywhere. Ryan Day's not going anywhere, and nobody important off this coaching staff is going anywhere right now. Hartline's not going anywhere right now. Hartline is not going to recruit this crop of receivers and go somewhere next year. No. This is his school. He's made his money in the NFL. Maybe he wants to be a coordinator or a head coach. He's not in a hurry to get out of here. Nobody else important like this, it's just not going to happen. Okay, so like let's get rid of the coaching
1: question because
2: I just don't think any of the most important people have any
1: chance of leaving. Well, and le- isn't the X factor there if Meyer were to get back in though?
2: Well, well, that, that takes is, off some of the. That's not coaches. Staff. It's Pantone and Marotti. Would right. they go with them? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And with the loss, I mean, I mean, Ryan Day, everyone saw Ryan Day give that game ball to Mickey Marathi after the game because all that's real. And you could follow how many former Ohio State players retweeted that and, like, said, mix the goat. You know, Dontre Wilson said that. Chris Worley said that. Like, there's just so many guys who just love Mickey Marathi. So that is actually a fantastic point by you because he, if he ever leaves, that will be a, a huge loss, huge loss for this program. So that's worth keeping in mind. But I don't. But there's nobody else on this staff. You know, Brian Hartline and 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 Greg Studrawa aren't going with Urban to USC.
1: So. And I also don't know that it craters 2020. I think it's something you'd feel more
2: in the long run. I think I think that's also correct. But 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 also, but he's the guy who gets them ready in the summer. And if it's a new strength coach, they don't yep. really know him. I mean, like our off-season workouts weren't as good. I think that would be a real thing. So take back what I said before, because actually that would be a huge freaking deal. <laughs> Let's look at the team. So let's do our 2020 projected starting lineup, and then we can talk about whether we think this would be a, a better team um, in 2020 or a better team in 2019.
0: Okay. <clears throat> so I've got some, some pinned-in guys. Justin Fields is the starting quarterback. Justin Fields is the starting quarterback. Who? Okay. Huh? Yeah, some guy. From Georgia. Master Teague is the running back as of right now. So assuming they don't get a running back in this, well, class. assuming
1: J.K. leaves, also, where
0: mm. are we on guesses on J.K. leaving? I think he's leaving. I don't think he can conti- continue to have a season like he's had. I think he, if he continues down this path, he's going to be where Mike Weber was, where it's no nothing more he can show at this level. And
2: Mike Weber, to be fair, was a seventh round draft, pick. right? So Mike Weber, Mike Weber left because he couldn't show any more
1: because he was a
2: seventh round draft pick. Yeah. J.K. is a much higher draft pick than that.
1: He is, but also again the way that running back usage has trended in the NFL. I think I want to get. I I don't want to waste. And I, your there body. is also yeah. There's also only so many hits a body can take as a running back, okay. and I think that's been sort of proven. So I want to start that clock earlier. I think there unless you're Sakwan Barkley, unless you're that kind of transcendent player, your running backs really aren't climbing that high in the draft anymore. It's really more like a third, fourth round position a lot of times, even when guys are are pretty good, maybe second round. So if I'm JK, I probably leave after this year just because I think it's the more prudent business decision.
2: We'll talk about this a million more times. I think it's a fair assumption for everyone to think about that he won't be back and and continue that way. And it'll be a great surprise bonus if he is. So Master Teague's the running
0: back. Okay, here are the wide receivers. The uh, the H-back is up for grabs depending on what Mookie Cooper can do when when he early enrolls uh, along with Jalen Gillen. That regard, but the other two spots, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson will be the starters. And then Julian Fleming is going to be a part of that rotation. That's the number one wide receiver in the country right now. Julian Fleming next year. And
2: so Ben Victor's gone. Austin, Austin Mack, Mack, is, Mack gone. is gone. KJ Hill is gone. Yeah. And they've only been playing. So, so. They've only really been playing five receivers, and mm-hmm. three of them are going to be gone. And you're saying Olave and Wilson are the two starters. They're the other two guys. Yeah. So then you're talking about this four-man recruiting class. And then on the roster, it's Jalen Gill, it's Jalen Harris, um, it's Cameron Babb if he can come back healthy from, two, from two really bad knee injuries. Actually, Jamison Williams, I think – you were very into Jamison Williams when yeah. he flashed. I think he would be That's, in that mix. H's. They are, as we saw – with what they've done with Austin Mack. Mm-hmm. I think if, like, if, if Austin Mack was not a senior, if Austin Mack was a junior,
0: he'd be an H. More and we were saying who's yeah. going to be
1: the H next year, I might say Austin Mack's
0: going to yeah. be the starting yeah.
1: H. I mean, why would you? Yeah, I, I think they'll do whatever they can to get the best receivers on the field as much as possible. And if that means playing a guy slightly out of what his ultimate primary position would be, it just seems kind of a waste to me to put a lesser guy in at H back. For the sake and, and and not getting someone like Jameson who has clearly has potential uh, a higher potential ceiling than a lot of the guys who might be in there at H back, it would make a lot of sense to to manipulate that and get him on the. Field I mean, so I much think at possible. the
2: at the moment you think it's like well, well, Jalen Gill's definitely an H and Mookie Cooper is definitely yeah. the guy who's being recruited is an H, but let's not operate under the assumption that they're the top two H's next year because right. they'll find G Scott. Could be an H. Jamison Williams could be an H. Right.
0: Um. Jackson Chris Smith. Olave could be an H. Jackson Smith, I think. If between that, though, if we're gonna promote that recruiting class, if we're gonna throw another guy from that to an H spot, I think it'd be Jackson Smith over D. Scott. I just think D. Scott's a a more possession receiver. Well, but possession receiver is great for H. I yeah. mean,
2: I, well, that's that's part of the problem. Possession too,
0: right? and speed. Well, KJ Hill is not fast. No. Like and they had the problem is they had two one guy who was really fast and another guy who's really, whose hands are well, really good. And it's last not a, year. it's
2: like they had they had two H's last year who were exactly opposite. Yeah. So yeah. So Harris so Campbell was super fast. Yeah. Super had great size, iffy hands. KJ Hill is not super fast and catches everything. Yeah. So it's like they can go anywhere they want to go there. Now you're probably not going to put a 6'4 guy who is like just going to dominate people. Going up and getting the ball right. down the field. But there. You're not going to put play, Odell
0: Beckham at H. But six, although he sometimes yeah. plays H. Yeah, so. Odell's only like five eleven though. So like that's true. You give Odell Beckham the ball. You're not going to put Julio
2: Jones at H. Yeah. So, so, so let's guess the six. And they're only playing again. The point is they're only playing five receivers because they're not really playing a backup H this year. Right. But let's assume six. So that'll probably
1: be the case next year too. I would imagine. I mean, well, you, they'll have one, but I mean, you're still going to have essentially this entire tight end still well, together. Well, but,
2: but I, I can't tell. Barry. I mean, because I I had a conversation with somebody like why isn't Gill playing more? And it and it really was more about like well, it's just KJ just deserves all the snaps. Yeah, like it's hard to take him off the field, so you won't have someone that established. So it's possible,
1: I think. But, but the also, is, the don't tight you see ends them are still part of playing it? a lot of twelve personnel next year if
0: they're Probably. doing it so much well, this year. Well, okay, the tight ends will be Farrell, Rucker, and Hausman, and then you got Joe Warrior coming in and what, what, Camonte what, Hamilton as well. So it's going to gonna be right it'll be the
2: same. So it'll be the same tight ends minus Barry. Yeah, they'll have the same rotation, right. which is they'll all play. We have to decide who are the six receivers that are going to play the most next year. Wilson Olave. Okay,
0: and those two I had pinned in, Fleming. Okay, Jamo. Jam, yeah, Jameson Williams, uh, Jackson. Four? G Scott. G Scott,
2: who's looking like a beast <laughs> in high school right now. And then after that, it's either Jackson of- Smith jigba or Mookie Cooper, the Williams. other two guys from the class, I, yeah, after or that, maybe Cameron Babb if he's healthy. I maybe think we after- didn't mention
1: Gill in there, did we?
0: Or Gill. I think after those initial five, it depends on what they want to do. But I think those top five make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Let's not forget about Jamison Williams, which we're not. Yeah. And let's assume that Fleming and G. Scott might come in as the top two guys of that really good receiver recruiting
0: class. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Linemen. Here are my pinned-in linemen, Josh Myers and Harry Miller at center.
1: I think think Josh Myers will be the left guard.
0: Okay.
2: They will both start at left guard and center. In one of the two ways.
0: So let's put Josh Myers at, at center and let's yeah, you, Harry yeah, Miller
1: one way or the other. Yeah.
0: I mean, the Josh Myers at left guard and Harry Miller at center because they, I mean they talked about him way too well for him to not be a center. Now, what Josh is,
1: Myers is doing well right now would seem to really potentially thrive as a pulling guard, correct? I mean, he's <laughs> just the butt kicking, crushing guys. I mean, he's just
2: yeah. the just yeah,
1: he is bulldozing dudes.
0: Okay, and then right guard, Wyatt <laughs> Davis.
1: Yes,
2: those three I think are in stone.
0: Tackle your buddy Nick petit Frere at one of the tackles in Stone, probably right tackle. I think he's. Yeah. I think it's right tackle. Um, uh, and then your guy.
2: I think Paris is. a starter. I think is possible. Now, I also think it's very, very possible that Thayer is back. I mean, Thayer is very good. I I mean, Thayer is coming off a somewhat has coming off a serious surgery. I think he's played well. Um. Thayer is really good. They have had really good tackles come back as seniors. Taylor Decker came back as a senior. Jamarco Jones came back as a senior. Jack Muhort came back as a senior. So I don't think we have to shove Thayer out the door. And if we are assuming J.K. is gone, I will operate for the moment under the assumption that Thayer is back as a third-year starter and a senior at left tackle.
0: And I think another year of him having a full, time, full year of being healthy – and he can really show it. I I agree with that. So, if that's the case, I I wouldn't be surprised if Paris is a starter next year, like if he beats out Petit-Frère it's another yeah. tackle spot. I'll put them both at the same spot for now and like and but I'm like look, that got, I know so, he's a true freshman, but like So, you start at at a place like Ohio State,
2: you start on the on the offensive line for one of two reasons. One is you are a generational freak. You're Orlando Pace. And so now we're talking about Orlando Pace. Yeah, I know. Like first pick in the draft NFL Heisman Hall of Fame. They had a conversation. They had a couple conversations on Saturday. Like you're Orlando Pace. The other way you start is they kind of screwed up and they need you. Michael Jordan started as a true freshman at guard here. I said it all along. Urban eventually said it too. That was their fault. They messed up. They blew it in recruiting, and they had to start him. It wasn't really fair to Michael Jordan. He played really well. He should not have been starting. So I don't think they screwed it up like he would be beating out a national top 10 guy, right, if he beats out Nicholas petit first, It's a so like, national
0: top 10 guy beating out a national no, top 10 I know,
2: but he'd be a first-year national yeah. top 10 guy beating yeah. out a, a third-year third third year yeah. national top 10 guy. So I don't think they would be playing him out of desperation. The question is, is Paris Johnson Orlando Pace? And the answer usually, is if no. any question is related to Leonardo Pierce, the answer right. is no. This time it's it's maybe. I think it is. Maybe. It's a maybe. Like, <laughs> and that is like the ultimate credit and compliment to Paris yeah. Johnson. But at the moment, I would
0: say NPF. I can I think if I think if, if in a world where Theron Mumford comes back, I think Nick goes into it the, the with the the head guy at there. But I look. Like, it's hard. He's getting pa- like it's. He's not getting on the field. It's well, hard to right play now. as a
1: lineman. The other yeah. thing is the other thing that you got to remember is he can play early, and get some experience. And if you and if you're comfortable with what you have without him, after he plays in four games, you pull him back and you redshirt. He wouldn't
0: redshirt. He red so, he, he's, he's, he's not still red be. He'd still be in the rotation. Like
2: he's that. I think he'll be the second team. I think yeah. he could be the third tackle. He'll be on the second team. Just mm-hmm. like NPF did redshirt as it turns out. I think Paris will be more ready than that. Yeah. Paris is not a fi- is not going to be here five years, though, anyway.
0: Paris is testing like an NFL player already. I mean, he's really good. years old.
2: But I think – so I guess the question – so, okay, so we've made our starting lineup. Let's think about that offense now before we go to the defense. Let's okay. make this decision. How would that offense compare to this offense? Which would be better? With the people that we just said are going to play, are they going to have a better offense in 2019 or a better offense in 2020? I think
0: – Tw- I'd give 2020 the edge. I think 20, I think 20, I'm talking 2019 the edge. I think 2020 has like more talent at its skill positions, but. So why would you give 2019 the edge? The line. I still like, you're, yeah, I think like is a first year think- starter. Paris is still a true freshman. And I don't think they'll look as, as great as that this offensive line has the first six weeks of the season. I think by the end of the year, they'll be clicking and be one of the best in the country. But I don't think from the get go, that offensive line will be as solid as this one is. We're getting sucked in a little bit when we look at
1: twenty twenty, probably to the the promise over production yeah. conversation. There's so much promise in all of those a lot of those guys that we talked about. You can go five deep on guys that you look at and think, man, that guy could be really something yeah, at I this agree. level. But and that but i'm saying that we're that's we're overlooking the fact that maybe Ben Victor and Austin Mack don't blow people away the same way flashy even KJ Hill they're not flashy in the same way but you know what they do they go out and they catch balls and they're really productive in the offense and i think that's where you're going to maybe take a, 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 a there's going to be a rise in that offenses ceiling in some ways just the talent ceiling but you have to factor in what will probably be a step back just in terms of reliability stability things like that
0: yeah but that's after you know four years of being in the program they finally got around to being that that's my point and no, no I don't Ben Victor wasn't a five star guy. And stars that doesn't matter. It's not about whether
1: <laughs> Stars not, matter.
0: Stars it doesn't matter. matter. It
1: doesn't matter how many stars he was, it it matters what he's producing
0: right now. Stars That's matter. what matters. No, I, I think stars matter. I, I think the fact like with Nick Matif Freyer, like he's a five star guy who's not getting on the field. If he wasn't a five star guy, we're not going why is he not on the field yet as a second year guy? I, That's like, why
1: the stars don't matter. It
0: matters whether five, you're producing yeah. when you get here. Or but not. You're rated a five star for a reason. Like, 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 it
1: was, sometimes you're rated a five star for a reason. Sometimes you're rated a five star because but, people but, screwed up their evaluation of you. But Ben Victor is, Ben Victor's good. Yeah. He, he's not great. I know. It, but I'm so not, I've got to have a guy who might be great. Like but what I'm saying that. is, what I'm saying is, but that's what I'm saying. It may be, again, the talent level may be higher next year, like what he's saying. I think that the ceiling may be higher, but you are sacrificing some stability, that veteran savvy. That reliability that you have from guys who've been in the program for four years. Somebody just
0: asked a question about guys who we think will be better, like like some some like guys who aren't starters, and we both named Garrett Wilson and Zach Harrison. Both of those guys were five stars, and Garrett, I mean Zach Harrison was top ten player in the country. I think right, but
1: that but again, I we only say that because they're on the field and producing right, but like. Garrett
0: Wilson had the expectation that he would be making plays like this before he got
1: here. And Nicholas Petit-Fair had the expectation that he'd probably be playing by now, and he's not. So that's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter how many stars were on their name. It matters what they actually do once they get here, whether, <laughs> but, whether but, their execution is there or whether the opportunity is there. I think they have
2: a higher ceiling. If you have five stars, you have a higher ceiling. Like the idea – like Ben Victor is playing his best right now.
0: Right. That won't be Julian Garrett Fleming's
2: Wilson's best. best is better than Ben Victor's best. And I guess the question yes, is but I understand the idea of f- true freshmen aren't going to be as good as guys who have been around. I think Garrett Wilson, by the time he's a sophomore, I think Chris Olave
1: that's, that's a fair point. as
2: a junior and Garrett Wilson as a sophomore, not being true freshmen, be, but being around enough, have a higher ceiling than Ben Victor and Austin Mack as seniors. That's, that's a fair point to make. Yeah, I would, so, I, I think that's
1: fair. I picked yeah. pick
2: 2020 because the other thing is you could have looked at last year's line, which had a bunch of veteran guys. Their mm-hmm. guards were Malcolm Pridgeon and Demetrius Knox, and their center was Michael Jordan. Those were all veteran guys and said they're reliable. We believe in those guys, and if we had had this conversation about 2018 and 2019 offensive line and you would have said, well, Malcolm Pridgen and Demetrius Knox and Michael Jordan have been around. We don't know what Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers are going to do as first-year starters in 2019. And Josh Myers is picking people up and throwing them into the stands. Why? Because they're top 50 national recruits. So when you think about next year, Thayer's really good. And if we're assuming Thayer is back, they're going to have like four top 50 national guys in the other spots. Now, Thayer was an underrated guy. Thayer is your example. Thayer is and you're right. Of that, course. there that are, happens, but like...
1: There are Sayer, five stars who Sayer become like, great, and there are five stars who fizzle. True. But,
2: but also what? true, if you take 105 stars and 103 stars, you're going to get greater
1: overall production from the 105 well, stars. Well, yeah, that's why Ohio State loses nine games in yeah, seven which, years which, under Urban Which is what we boy, want to make sure
2: you aren't losing sight of. Yeah, I'm, not I'm not saying that. that. I'm
1: saying... <laughs> individually, though... Correct. When you're talking about an an individual player and what they will do on a given day or any given season, the stars that were next to their name when they were in high school doesn't matter. But when you're projecting and trying to think about how a team might go, you certainly
2: take those stars into account. But you end up with Malik Harrison, who was a three-star, playing alongside Baron Browning, who was a five-star, and they're both really
1: good. Well, but also to to your point, like what you were saying before about the Garrett Wilson, Ben Victor, or was it Matt that you were comparing? Yeah, both. But – Right now, I don't think this offense is better if you flip the snaps that those guys are getting and give more to Garrett Wilson and less to those guys and more targets to Garrett Wilson and less to those no, guys. I would agree. Because he is still more prone. We've seen it. He's done some really, really good things on the field and he's also made more mistakes than those guys have. But, but, and if they were trying, if they, we were assuming they were
2: going to play all four receivers at all four freshman receivers next year were going to be their four starters, then I would agree with you. Yeah. yeah but like but Alave not. and Wilson and Jamison no, Williams. Yeah, that are going that, to that is a fair
1: guys. point and I would correct yeah. to say that, yeah, because you usually, I mean, freshman and sophomore is usually the jump year. That's where you usually I, see guys I, old, like, hit that which level. Which is why
0: the only one I pinned in before we <laughs> started this conversation was Julian Fleming. And that's because Who like, might be rare. And he, Yeah, he's literally the number three player in the country. So, like, that's like outside of that, I'm not guaranteeing any of these true freshmen to get on the field next year.
2: And I will take second-year Justin Fields over first-year Justin Fields. 100%. As good as 100%. Justin Fields has been. I think my only caveat on taking the 2020 offense over the 2019 offense is the running back. And – if you assume J.K. is gone, J.K. has been really good. I know Master Teague has shown out really well. I know I'm talking about they might get a flip. Who could help them? Um, JK, J.K. is a known quantity. J.K. is a known quantity, and, and nobody else is to that degree. And if the running back is just good and not great, and he's not turning, if he's if that 67-yarder in the exact same situation next year is a 12-yarder, because he makes the wrong cut or whatever and all the blocking is great and all the same stuff happens, but the running back doesn't finish it off the way the J the way JK finished it off, they won't be as good. So I will assume that Master Teague will be fine, or that JK will be back, or that they will flip somebody, or that Marcus Crowley emerges as a monster, or something pretty good happens. But that's my one caveat. The rest of it, I think the offensive line will be better. I think the receivers are definitely absolutely could be better. I think the tight ends are are the same. No, Rashad Berry is really good, but they have four good tight ends. Three of them are going to be back, and I think Fields might come. Might Fields Fields might be Deshaun Watson. I mean, like Fields might put up the kind of season as a college quarterback that people talk about. Which for to years. my
0: point, Deshaun Watson was throwing the ball thirty plus times in his last year at Clemson, which is. I think that's where this is gonna be next year. Like Justin Fields has thrown twenty five passing yard passing attempts twice. I don't think that's gonna be the case next year. I think him being in the system a year and being more comfortable and a better thrower, I think they're gonna throw the ball a little bit a lot more often than they are this year. Especially if JK doesn't come back. Defense. Okay, here are my pinned in guys. This is the problem. Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison. As they're starting as a, defensive end. As, as their pencils. Yep. Right now. Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett, Baron Browning, Taraja Mitchell, Sean Wage my one pendant. Okay, okay.
2: Let's slow down. Let's go by position. Let's go defensive line. So we are assuming that the starting defensive ends are Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison. Yeah. Backed up by Tyler Friday and Javante Jean Baptiste. Correct. We think the starting tackles are Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett. Yep. Backed up by Teron Vincent, who has been uh is having a lost year. Certainly seems like he's gonna have the red shirt with an injury. He's just he's just out right now. Yeah. Um They have so they'd be losing Chase Young, they're losing Jonathan Cooper, they're losing Davon Hamilton, they're losing B.B.
0: Landers. But they have they definitely have depth there. Yeah. And then linebackers, Baron Browning, Taraja Mitchell. You're losing Malik Harrison. Uh, Pete Warner. I would throw him in that. So the
2: only person you're losing is Malik Harrison if we're thinking that Baron Browning is back. And also Tuff Borland is back. So there's no reason that you wouldn't be thinking we only talk about the tough Borland, Baron Browning thing every single podcast, which is fine, but we just have to assume that it's going to be kind of the same as it is now, which is they're both going to play. So Baron Browning and tough Borland together. Do you have to leave both of those guys at Mike? No, I've been begging them to play Baron Browning at outside linebacker. I think the person keeping Baron Browning from playing Will linebacker is Malik Harrison. Right. So couldn't so he come, be? Yes. It comes down to Baron the Will and linebacker. And while, Well, the other thing is Taraj is a middle linebacker. Taraja is tough Borland. Yeah, I would say. Well, I mean, I, So it could good, be Taraja and tough.
1: Right. And put Borland yeah. at, at, at will. At one, at and, no, put and, Browning at will. At will. Or put yeah. Brown, yeah, that's what I meant. Browning at will. And then Werner at Werner at Werner stays where he's at right now. I Werner think, at Sam or, or, or if the – we'll talk about the bullet, I guess, in this capacity too. But maybe that develops more next year and they use it more. I don't know. What if they called that position the neck?
0: Rather than the bullet and all this stuff, they just call strong sideline back well, like, as we call it neck. Yeah, but like everybody then has to like have neck. Like you have to recruit guys telling them, listen, you're gonna spend like 85 percent of the time in the weight room doing neck exercises. Yeah.
2: How do you guys really recruit to to neck? <laughs> um, I think that I think Taraja, tough, and bearing in those three spots is very reasonable. Okay. And 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 then the rest works itself out. We just we just got the thumb get out from a guy back there. Okay. So we have to get out. Oh wow. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we just wrapped up linebackers. All right,
2: let's not pretend that we're not in my car now because a guy (laughs) wandered into the room, pointed at me, because I was the only one facing that door, pointed at me, and then made a thumbing motion that said, get out of here. And so we got out, and then the people were like, you guys doing a podcast? we're like, yeah, we're doing a podcast, and uh, everybody was good. We pushed it as far as we could. All right, corners. So we're playing Pete Warner. And Baron Browning on the outside and Taraja Mitchell and Borland sharing middle linebackers. Is that what we're doing next year? Correct. With yeah. Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope kind of circling around yeah. as needed. Okay. okay,
0: so there's one pinned in corner, and that's Sean Wade. If he decides to come back, he'll move to the outside. Which is like would be the reason he comes back to show that he can also play outside corner. He's not just a slot. So and, that's and- open to like I don't think we
2: can guarantee that he comes back and yeah. Randy Wade, his dad is probably listening to this.
0: I'm sorry, mister Wade, if I just no. like
2: No, he's good, Randy okay, Wade. Cool. He knows his kid is good. I
0: don't want to say the child though.
2: And he knows we're gonna talk about good players and we're you know, I mean it's uh whatever. It's his dad they know they know better than we do. It's their lives. It's true. You do know if your son is leaving or not. But I bet you they don't know right now what's gonna happen. Because Sean Wade on some draft boards is being talked about as a potential first round pick. And sometimes, if you're being talked about as a potential first round pick, there is no discussion. Yeah. So, you know, he might not be back, but he also might have an opportunity to come back and absolutely be like the dude in that room, play outside corner and show people even more what he can be. And that would be an attractive proposal as well.
0: With that being said, you've got Amir Reed, Marcus Williamson, Seven Banks, Cameron Brown, who played for Damon Arnett when he went down with whatever, Tyreek Johnson, and Clark Phillips in the 2020 class. It's like some combination of those guys is going to be the three guys on the field next year. Is
2: Clark Phillips the only corner
0: He's, in the 2020 yeah. He's class? He's the only guy listed as a corner. Cameron Martinez is listed as an athlete. And then you've got Legend Cavazos, who's a safety but could play corner. You've got Lathan Rantham, who's a safety as well. But the only guy listed as a corner in that class is is Clark Phillips.
2: Okay, so Cam Brown is one. And again, as we've kind of mentioned, everybody knows Damon Arnett left the game uh, against Michigan State, has this bye week to recuperate. But if he can't go for some reason against Northwestern, Cam Brown would be the first guy up there. So Cam Brown's going to start next year, right? Cam yeah.
1: Brown's been acquitting himself pretty well, too. I mean, people remember he filled in on some uh, series um, when uh, Jeff Okuna had to come out of the game a couple weeks ago I think it was at the Indiana game that Okuda came out of That sounds right, yes um, it was, For yeah. just a couple, like one or two series um, So he's clearly elevated to the next guy in, in the eyes of this coaching staff right now
2: He's the third outside corner right now Right So um,
1: and Then at, it gets fun
2: well, then I think it's seven banks, and I, every year, um, and Nathan, you'll find this, one of the most popular stories of the offseason is young guys flashing in bowl practice. Fans love young guys flashing in bowl practice. And at the Rose Bowl last year, when I asked about young guys flashing in bowl practice, the number one guy that people talked about was seven banks. So it's been a little bit of a surprise to me that Cam Brown has become this guy because I thought Seven Banks was in line to be this. And then Tyreek Johnson, again, to your point about recruiting, is a five-star guy who's a who's a corner who is not in the mix at the moment as much as those other two guys. When they go second-team corners, Cam Brown and Seven Banks are the second-team corners. Right. So Tyreek Johnson is no better than the fifth-outside corner right now. And again, that's a guy who's a who's a hugely highly-rated recruit. So... I think Wade, the possibility of Wade hangs all over this. I don't know who the short... I think one of those guys has to be the slot corner, too. Because, like, no offense to Amir Reap and guys like that. But, like, I think he's he's just... And Marcus Williamson, they've just been, like, kind of more like second-team guys. And I don't know that they automatically would, would rise up to be first-team guys when you have sort of highly re- recruited younger guys beh- behind them.
1: And do do you think Wade only comes back on the contingency that he is now taking one of these outside spots and proving himself as a capital C cornerback or would they, because he's, he's excelling as the slot cornerback. He's fantastic as the slot cornerback on this team. And it's an important position. It's not some kind of gimmicky throwaway position. It is their base defense to have him on the field at all times as their slot cornerback. So schematically, would it potentially make sense to leave him there and just, Install those two guys who right now are really only working as outside corners, and just keep developing them, developing them as such.
0: Yeah, but I don't think he, like he would. I, once again, I'm sorry, Mr. Wade, if I'm assuming. It feels about weird. Your child. It feels
2: weird. I don't know. If I, so I'm, it does
0: yeah, feel sorry. weird. It does. So do. I, I would. Uh, sorry, Randy. I, so I apologize, but I don't like think he would come back to to show more to show that he can do something that we he's already proven he can do. I think him coming back would be so he could prove he could play outside corner and he's a d- diverse defensive back more than this to come back to show something we all already know about
1: it. Well, but it, Thayer Mumford's going to come back next year if he comes yeah, back and play a, left tackle. Not, I know it's not quite the same. Have have you, you, but like,
0: you're a basketball guy. Yeah. You were
2: a basketball guy in your previous life. You know how, like, there aren't there big guys who are big guys and th- who are thinking about going and come back and they say, I'm only coming back if I can play the four? Because I don't want to yes. play with my back to the See, basket. I want to oh. face the basket and shoot jump shots and dribble.
1: Yes, well, but it actually happens more that uh, this happened at Purdue with Caleb Swanigan, for instance. Those guys get recruited and go to a place that will let them play the four, even though they may only be a five.
2: Even if schematically it helps the team if they're a five.
1: Right. And in, which in the case of him, we're not going to get on the standard, but in the case of him, he actually ended up playing a lot of five over those two so,
2: years. So, but I, that to me is this. That like, yeah, schematically, I don't know, maybe Ohio State would
1: That's but what but I was Sean asking. Sean Wade
2: yeah. is, I think, Steven's point of, He's showing what he is at that spot. And if that makes him a blank, a first round pick, then maybe he'll go. If he thinks he can, he can show even more. I think the only way you show even more is by playing a slightly different position. So I think that is, I think that might be. <sighs>
1: Is, I, I, I think the that's offense. the right answer. I was just asking if, for the sake of argument.
0: I think whether he comes back or not, the, the, the cornerbacks are the question mark of the
2: offseason. Is, that the, is he potentially even a more important NFL decision for the Buckeyes than J.K. Dobbins?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, because of just the the complete lack of experience behind him where you need three people as opposed so, to where you yeah, just need one. one.
2: guy. That is really interesting because, I mean, if you think about it, and you talked about it. We did a video. Make sure you guys are subscribed to our YouTube channel, by the way. Um, It's ohiostatecleveland.com. Go to YouTube and put in ohiostatecleveland.com, and you can put the lovely faces to these lovely voices. But, Stephen, we were doing rankings of the best assistant coaches so far this season, and and Stephen was talking about Jeff Halfley and just how well these three corners are playing. To lose all three. Yikes. And your safety. And now we can move to that and your safety. I mean, like, to lose all four guys— out of that secondary in one swoop would be quite a thing, and like the idea of like, well, at least we have Sean Wade back, just feels like a huge difference.
1: Oh, that yeah, exactly. Between that that does make that makes all the difference in the world, really. Um, it it's it's similar. To, I'll give you another basketball analogy. Purdue lost four seniors two years ago, and then the question was, is Carson Edwards going to join them or not? He came back. They end up almost making a final four. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I think, you know, you need that, that one guy who can come back and be the, 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 the player that everything kind of rotates around. And, and he would be that guy. He would bring his stability to that room. He would bring just a presence to that room while you have some other guys, because let's face it. I mean, cornerback is a very like, um, there's, there's a lot of ups and downs at that position. Yep. You're going to have some real triumphs and you're going to have some spectacular failures. And you've got to have, I think, a veteran kind of stable presence in there. And that's another reason why I think the, the answer is you have to put him on the outside, um, where he's, you know, you, you're, you're, you're less vulnerable than to some of those ups and downs.
0: In a world where you're probably losing Ohio State's, like, best pass rusher of the- Probably. All right. I mean, yeah. If you want to have, if you, so, but you can argue the both. So if, so if you want to. Oh do no, that.
2: I thought you meant uh, they're probably in, losing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Him. It's like argue like he's in the conversation. About no, no, him. no. I thought you meant you're. Oh, Old, just right now. You're
2: probably is applying to. He's probably the best. Yeah. I thought you're probably was applying to. Chase Young is probably leaving.
0: Oh no, no. He's gone. Yeah. Go go make your money, <laughs> sir. Probably <laughs> the best pass rusher this decade, arguably. I mean, you can make the case to also have an inexperienced. Defensive cornerback unit who like you're inclined to give up a lot more big plays. They're losing Jordan Fuller.
2: Josh Proctor's gonna be the safety there instead. Yeah,
0: that's why I had him pinned in. So. How are
2: they gonna be? Fine. Yeah. Maybe better. Like and like zero offense to Jordan Fuller. Yeah. It's just Proctor might be special. Jordan Fuller's really good. I don't think guys take offense at that. Jordan Fuller is the consummate Buckeye. He's great on the field. He's an academic All-American off the field. He's been a three-year starter. He has done every single thing right every minute of the day since he got to Ohio State. I think Josh Proctor might have ra- more raw talent, Roman sideline to sideline, and make a make place.
0: And I don't think you can take offense to that when you're the reason why he's not on the field. Correct. So.
2: But they're fine. So it's like yeah. when we're talking about like they could lose everybody in the secondary— if they lose the safe, and they're gonna lose the safety cause he's a senior, they're okay there. It's this corner thing that would yep. be quite a thing. And if they lose Sean Wade, I think maybe you assume that it's like Seven Banks, Tyreek Johnson, and Cam Brown are the three guys. One mm-hmm. of them ends up playing slot. Maybe Seven Banks. I don't know. You figure it out. You bet you get your best guys on the field. And this is what Ohio State does. They roll in talented guys. It's just none of them will have ever played meaningful snaps before.
1: I just want Seven Banks to play as much as possible cause that's just a great name.
0: Isn't it? Did he get the touchdown latch off for Chris Olave? He did. Block punt. He did. And then he blocked the punt this year. All right. So I'm let's sure. think.
2: Let's think about that defense. Losing Chase Young, losing Jeff Okuda, losing Malik Harrison, who are probably your three best defensive players right now. Losing Damon Arnett. Honestly, like, we didn't really talk about it. Maybe losing Baron Browning? Not impossible. No. Again, guessing, who knows? I guess it makes sense to guess that he'd be back, but, but maybe losing Baron Browning, losing Jonathan Cooper, losing BB Landers, losing Davon Hamilton. Better. You're going to get better. You're going to see more production from Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison, yeah. but they're not going to be as good as Chase Young. Your corners are not going to be as good. No. And your linebackers, like, probably aren't going to be as good, like, I'm excited about Taraja Mitchell. I really like Taraja Mitchell.
1: But Malik's a big loss. Malik's a big loss. I think if you don't lose Baron Browning, I think if Baron Browning comes back and becomes a full-time guy who can go out there and just get get after it every single down, I don't know that you necessarily take a big drop at linebacker.
0: I think that if the only guy you lose who, like, isn't a guaranteed stay or leave is Sean Wade, I think the only real question mark is that cornerback because, yeah, you're losing Chase Young, but you're replacing him with two other guys who might be NFL first-round draft picks at some point as well. So, like, Chase Young is amazing. And, like, the, how do you replace a guy who's that good? You replace him with two guys and not just one.
2: I will say we are now talking about some of the guys that you're feeling, because I was thinking to myself, like, who are some of the guys that, like, aren't playing at all right now that we're not thinking about? And those guys, I would mean, are the true freshman, Yeah. The 2019 class and that 2019 class is not what the 2017 or 2018 class was. It was only 17 guys. Cause it had to be small. Anyway, national rank is 14. They lost some dudes in the transition. Like Jordan battle. For instance, we mentioned like, if you were like, well, we'll fill Jordan battle in, in the secondary somewhere. Like they lost some guys in there. And like Zach Harrison, we talked about Garrett Wilson, Harry Miller, Jamison Williams. They're the top four guys. In the 2019 class, we've talked about how all that, they'll all factor in. Then it's Cade Stover at linebacker, Ronnie Hickman at safety, Enoch Vamahe on the offensive lines. He may
0: or may not be here.
2: Who might be on his Mormon mission? Steel Chambers, uh, at running back, Ryan Jacoby on the offensive line, Toby Eichenberg at linebacker, Noah Potter on the off, on the def- on the defensive line, Marcus Crowley at running back, Bryson Shaw at safety, Cormonte Hamilton at tight end, Craig Young at linebacker, Jaden McKenzie at defensive tackle, Dewan Jones at offensive line. Like it's just fine, great. And there's going to be somebody in there who's a diamond in the rough, but it's just not as many guys as if you, would have gone through, when you went through the 2007, like in 2016, no. In 2017, when you were thinking about 2018, and you were going through the 2017 class, you were like, yeah, there's dudes everywhere. They're going to really factor in. And it's just the 2019 class, the more they start relying on that class, that's not going to be as good of a class as what has built this national caliber team right now, which is 17 and 18. So that's why this in some ways is a get it now year because you have the guys of that. The funny thing is there's actually not that many 2018 guys contributing right now. The only guy who is really is Justin Fields, who was not originally in their class.
0: Could that happen again? Could you see a a situation where that 2019 class is by the time they're juniors were saying, well, the only guys contributing from that class was Zach Harris and Garrett Wilson, Harry Miller and Jameson Williams. And maybe Cade Stover at linebacker at that point. I mean, maybe, but uh, you're just
2: not. I had thought this team would be built on the 2017 and 2018 class. It's built on the 2017 class because here are the guys in the 2018 class, Mm -hmm. the top guys. Nicholas petit frere didn't win a job. Teron Vincent, 20th guy in the nation, hurt. Tyreek Johnson, not playing. Jalen Gill, not playing. Tyreek Smith, playing some. Jeremy Ruckert, playing some. Torada Mitchell, playing some. Tommy Togiai, looking good when he gets to play. Matthew Jones, backup. Josh Proctor, making a difference. Cameron Babb, hurt. Brian Sneed gone. Tyler Friday, playing some. Those are the top 100 guys, but like, those guys are at the moment aren't quite where like Chase or Jeff Okuda yeah. were as sophomores, right? So it really is, there's a lot of guys Well, it's like if you say, okay, well, next year when they're juniors or when they're third-year guys, Petit Frere and Vincent and Ruckert and Gil and Tyreek and Taraja and Tommy Togiai, they're all going to be awesome. Okay, but it's not quite as guaranteed, I think, as, as what you thought with this 2017 class coming into their third year. So the whole point of this exercise was not just to have me talk for 45 minutes. What's better?
1: Are they yeah, the, be better the, next year the premise year? of the question was: Is there is the odds of a championship better this year or next year? Is like the and window what, better now. And what did we just say about this next year's team? Question at cornerback. Question at running back. Potential question at linebacker. Um, we know what positions are saying that about for this year's team? None. We don't have any questions about every unit on this team potentially being play not just playoff caliber but potentially national championship caliber we we feel like you know our evaluation of this team and a lot of people's evaluation of this team is that there is not a weak spot on the field right now so I think you'd have to say based on that criteria that odds are better this year than it for them to go win it next year
0: yeah I think the offense might be better next year but the defense might take a dip just because they're losing so many important guys and the offense isn't going to be like that much better than what we're seeing right now. Maybe the passing game might be better, but like the offense is still really good this year and the defense might be the best in the country. So because of all the question marks, you have to go with this year. I would also say I don't let, let's not assume the offense is going
1: to be better next year. There are still going to be some unknowns ceiling, there. Then. There are there is definitely maybe like I said that before. Yeah, the higher ceiling, but I mean, I also don't know that I mean, you know, Trevor Lawrence has come back this year for Clemson and not been that great.
0: Why are you no. always ripping Trevor Lawrence? No, but that defense... Th- they, they also lost a lot of guys on their defensive line. To the That's end not the anything game.
1: to do with how their offense
0: is no, doing. No, it doesn't, but like...
1: That no, defense, has like, nothing good, to do with how their offense was is doing. really good
0: down the stretch, but that defensive line won them some games last
1: Right, I'm just saying that in terms of offensive performance, you would assume a player of that caliber now gets to make a jump, and he hasn't really, like... Jumped yet this year, and it's you know you got another half season of film for people to have on on Justin Fields, and maybe they find some things. I don't know. I'm just playing the devil's advocate, but maybe Justin um, Fields
0: is just better than Trevor Lawrence.
1: Uh, well, that that again, I, that's not the comparison <laughs> I was trying to make. I'm just talking about. <laughs> oh, I
0: know. I'm just starting. I'm plan. just
1: talking about. We. It, 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 it's not always that easy. It's not always that you know. Next year equals better. Um, but I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think the ceiling is definitely there for the next year for the offense to be to have a higher ceiling to be even more explosive next year. But you again, you you can look at next year right now, and even in the best case scenario, even if Sean Wade comes back, you you have questions about cornerback. Even if Baron Browning comes back, yeah, you have questions at linebacker. Even if um they go find another stud running back, supposedly flip somebody there's still questions at running back. I mean, there's just, you don't have any of those questions right now about this team.
2: The, I think the biggest thing would be corner. I think if you assume they can sort of make up for chase by Zach Harrison and Tyreek and those other guys being really good, nobody individually as good as chase. Um, I agree with everything you guys said. And then the, 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 the only thing about 2020 is what if Justin Fields is like out of this world? That, like, Justin Fields, like, yeah. can practically, like, win a national championship by himself. Now, the question is, I'm not so sure that, like, <laughs> Justin Fields won't almost be at that point by the end of this season. Uh, his stats are not gigantic, which we keep have to, like, they are doing a really good job of making him look good with what they're asking him to do. And you look up, and I've actually had times, and this can lead into a question. We can get into a couple other things. What do we do in the first half? Like, an hour and a half? Hour We're half. looking for half an hour on this one? Yeah. This is how we end up with two hour and 45 minute podcasts when you break it up into two pieces yeah. with the recording and we lose track of where we are. 19. Now we got 11 minutes. We're going to have to run, run through this stuff. Um, last year, sometimes Dwayne Haskins would throw for like 446 yards and I'd be like, what? I thought he had 289 yeah. yards, and he has 446. Justin does the opposite. <laughs> there are times this year when I'm like, well, Justin Fields is thrown for 385 yards today. And it's like, he's thrown for 220 yards. And it's like, he seems so in control, and their offense is so dangerous. But, and this is the, I've been, like, his stats are good. His touchdown stats
0: are really good. The rest of his stats are, he's, like, efficient. He's, he's not blowing everybody away with his stats. I think it's the big place. Like, he, he'll he have, like, they'll, they'll punch, 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 and then they'll hit you with a haymaker punch, 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 hit you with a haymaker. While last year, Dwayne Haskins was picking up yardage in, like, 11-yard, like, intervals, and so by the end of the game, he's at 400 yards. Like, this offense isn't doing that because they're relying on the run so much. They That might happen next year, where he does have to pick up yards at this 11-yard per play pace, where he doesn't have to do that this year.
1: Well, it's also reasonable to expect next year's defense, again, to take potentially a step back, which means this offense might have to make – more long yeah. drives, not being <laughs> as favorable. Yeah, they're getting the ball in, mean, like, this, a this, 40-yard line yeah. of the
0: other team, and he's not really. I mean, right now, if you're
1: an opposing team and you turn the ball over at your, you know, Ohio State's, or your own 40-yard line, man, Yeah. six yeah, points. Yeah, well, you're getting like three turnovers a game. Three plays later, yeah, they're in the end zone. Honestly,
2: one of the best things for great Ohio State passing statistics last year was their horrendous defense.
0: Yeah, yeah? no, they're that's what I'm saying. every drive <laughs> like, yeah.
2: a 15-yard line. And having to do it. Like, it's like, well... It's like the middle of the fourth quarter, and Dwayne Haskins is still throwing because we're
1: losing to Maryland.
2: All right, Stephen gets this question by himself because we're entering the lightning round. From the 937, if you inserted Dwayne Haskins onto this 2019 team, taking into account that Justin Fields opens up the field more with his constant run threat, would the team be better or worse? Better with Dwayne right
0: now or better with Justin? I think about the same. I think you'd see, like, they run under center sometimes. I think you see that a little bit more often because I'm just imagining an NFL quarterback and 12 personnel at the college level and how amazing that would look for a guy who just threw 50 touchdown passes. So I think the play calling may change a little bit, but I don't think the outcome would be as crazy. It would look different. different. Yeah. it would. They'd still be winning. It's just like they cook their steak a little differently than others.
1: The engine of this team is the defense. Yeah. So whatever you do on
0: offense to play off of that, I, I think is. And you're asking great. an NFL level quarterback to manage a game.
1: And I
2: think they would have figured out a better way to run the ball with Dwayne Haskins, mm-hmm. with a whole off season to figure it out than they did last year. Yep. This is only for Nathan from the four one two. Who is your second half of the season breakout player? I e Chris Olave last year. And again, for the context on Chris Olave is. Austin Mack got hurt in the Purdue game last year, and that's the only reason Chris Olave played, and then Chris Olave, like, undressed Michigan. And it was like, oh, (laughs) he hasn't even been playing, and now he can't be covered in the most important game of the year. Who's a guy who could maybe, and it doesn't have to be
1: injury-related, but maybe could be looking for a breakout? Well, actually, when I did my little piece today, Chris Olave was a guy I mentioned because he only has about 270 yards right now. Um, he's, he hasn't caught more than three balls in any game since the opener. And I just, there I know that they spread it around, but it seems like the opportunity is there for him to have some big games, um, and have like a, you know, a 500 yard second half, as opposed to only getting less than 300. Um, so taking him out of consideration, taking Chris Olave out of consideration for the Chris
2: Olave award,
1: right? <laughs> which makes perfect sense. Now that I think about it,
2: um, I have the, a guy, maybe I do. I have a guy. But so, so you can, ju- you well, still get a the guy who hurt, just, yeah. a guy
1: who just seems like he's trending in the direction of being more than just a guy on this team. We've already mentioned him now a few times, but a guy who's trending more towards being just a guy at a position to a guy who's making this happen is Sean Wade. I mean, he's, I feel like he's becoming a, a, difference maker in a different way than he was even in week one. I feel like we've seen a progression just over these six weeks. The way he plays really physical, um the way that he is is versatile in this defense. He can be a guy who, who who brings a blitz. He can be a guy who still has to hang with those speedy guys over the middle. Um so I don't know what that when you talk about breakouts, you're usually talking about statistics. I don't know what that necessarily means statistics wise, but I'm just seeing his presence continue to grow on a defense that's already so strong and 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 give teams even less to work with.
2: I know who you're going to say, Say it, Stephen.
0: Zachary. Yep. I
1: knew you're
2: going to say that. That's yeah, right. a guy that like Zachary Zach a,
0: Zach uh, a guy who literally is in the in the same predicament as Chris Olave where like injuries are why he got on the field and then he's making things happen on the field already. And I think now he's he's shown that he can do stuff and you're going to see more of him down the stretch. I think that was a guy
1: I almost said actually, but there's just so many bodies rotating on that D line that I don't know if that will
2: Like, part of the Olave thing is like the Michigan game, which is not exactly what this question means, but it's like, I think Zach Harrison could be like, yeah, Zach Harrison played a little bit early on. He's looked good and he has three sacks in the Michigan game.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Ruck.
1: Yeah, that's another good one.
2: The tight ends, because I'm writing a Luke Farrell story, I I double checked this. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert had four catches in the opener. The tight tight ends combined have six catches since in the last five games. We thought the way they use the tight ends in the opener was like a change in the offense and they vanished and getting asked about it on Tuesday. It was sort of like it just hasn't been there. I think it could go back the other way as defenses adjust and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden they feel like, Hey, this is another, this is back to being a mismatch. We feel like we can exploit and maybe need to exploit because defenses have, have figured us out a little bit. And I think Jeremy Ruckert could emerge in the last third of the season.
1: Tight ends are a great thing to use when the run game is needs some kind of a, Something to offset that if another team's stopping that. Or if you're in a goal line situation, they're great targets down there. But, Ohio State's running the ball at will right now. And at the goal line, you're running zone read right now with those two guys who you're not really messing around with throwing the ball.
2: Which is basically what Kevin Wilson said today. It's right. like, we're running it so, and he's the tight ends coach. It's like, right. we're running it too well for the tight ends to be involved. Bonus question from the 614. <clears throat> I'll be curious to hear you guys because I've answered things like this many, many times over the years. Do you find it difficult not rooting for Ohio State football? I understand that at the end of the day, you are a professional, but after being around the program for so long, I find it almost impossible that you can remain impartial. So let's talk about impartiality in journalism when you cover a team. And Nathan, obviously, you don't have any previous allegiance to Ohio State. Stephen, you grew up in Columbus. I did not have any previous allegiance. Maybe Nathan you can talk about it in any times when you maybe did have a previous allegiance to a team that you then wound up covering that has also happened to me in my life. But let's start with Steven growing up in Columbus and now covering Ohio State. Yeah. And let's be honest about it like what what's
0: it like for you? Okay, when you grow up in the middle of the storm with a fan base like this, you go through like these roller coasters of it. Obviously you start out a fan because it's the, your home to, town team and so you root for it and yeah they won like when they won I remember where I was when they won the 2002 national championship game and it was like one of the first times I really just hung out with my dad where it was just us two and like a group of men so you know that type of stuff but then like you kind of get Ohio State fans are Ohio State fans and so you go through your, your your method of you don't really want Ohio State to win just so Ohio State fans can shut up and go away and so I think there was a couple of years let me, let me interject here as we have raw honesty in our answers <laughs> yeah. here.
2: Let's remember why we have jobs and who pays our I was
0: like twelve when I had these feelings. Okay, Okay, this not I don't feel that way right now. I want you guys to continue to be the crazy fans that you are and read our stuff. And then you kind of fall somewhere, if you're not a, a diehard fan of either Ohio State or Michigan, which something like my roommate's a Michigan fan, which is crazy because he grew up in Columbus too. But you fall somewhere in the middle where it's, it's interesting to watch them play, but you're not really overly rooting for them to win or you're not really rooting against them. You're just kind of interested in the fact that it's college football. And so because of that, I'm able to do this without like, being like, yes, yeah, so Ohio State is blowing everybody out or be like, dang it, I'm just kind of falling in that middle where I can easily be objective about talking about things. Now, at the same time, they're that good. So it is always, I don't, we're all sports fans. I know we do this for a living, but like, we like sports. So it is still interesting to see a great player make a great play. I don't care what team he plays for. That's always going to be an interesting thing.
1: Nathan, what's your experience? It, so it's not necessarily that you don't, that you become partial towards the team that you're covering. I think one thing that happens naturally is you're building professional relationships with people. You see them a lot. Yeah. You see them, you know, during a, a basketball season especially, you're seeing these guys on almost a daily basis sometimes. Um, football season, it's still – it's multiple times a week. And it's a little bit different here because you don't have as much one-on-one time with the athletes as you do at other places or in other sports. So that's a little bit different, but you still gain – a just sort of professional courtesy with everyone so that's not the same as being partial towards them or not what i think doesn't change is i have no emotional attachment to what ohio state football does on a given saturday i have no emotional attachment to where x team is ranked on my top 25 ballot as people are finding out when i argue with them on Twitter. Like, it's not, I'm not emotionally connected to that. I respect the emotional connection because I once was a fan before, you know, there aren't people who like go to journalism school not knowing what they want to cover and end up covering sports. That doesn't really happen. Usually you like sports. Someone tells you you're terrible at playing sports, but you are a pretty good writer. You should go write about sports. No one ever told and me I was terrible I at sports. And then I knew you he was
0: going to say that.
1: And <laughs> Steve was and, like, actually, I was really good. I, I, just, I was a little that. bit too short to <laughs> play It'll in the yeah. NBA. And yeah, then, then you go that do fun. that. So, so that's how that usually works. So, um, you, I, I respect, I mean, I still, I still have teams that my fandom has kind of been beaten out of me. There's still some teams, I'm, you know, pumping my fist when Marcelo Zun is hitting doubles for St. Louis Cardinals the other night and kind of being glad I didn't have to watch that bears game the other day. Like I still have teams that I follow, but it, it's not, so I, I respect it, but you don't you, you, I don't show up on Saturdays, and I did not when I was at covering Purdue things. I did not when I was covering high school sports before that. You don't really show up rooting for those teams to win. In fact, when you're covering high school, here's the dirty secret. When you're covering high school sports and you get to the playoffs, the sooner those teams lose, the sooner you get the next Saturday off or whatever a lot of times. So you're not really rooting for them to lose either, but you're certainly not devastated. So um that's the thing I would try to remember is, like, there's a professional courtesy that builds up, but at the end of the day, you know, you're there to um you your your job is to not have that emotional attachment because you can't really do your job if you have that emotional attachment. You've been doing it longer than either yeah. of us as far as with Ohio State. So yeah. you,
2: I grew up a sports fan, had no attachment to Ohio State before I got here. You get to be around guys. It's like I like Tvis Powell. I like David Lighty. I like James Laurinaitis. I like Billy Price. Like you get, so it's like when you like a person, it's like, well, I don't wish them ill. And if they have a thing in their life that happens that makes them very happy and makes their families very happy, then I'm happy for them because I know them to be good people that I would in life wish good things for. But in my existence as a sports writer, No matter what happened in a game, I did never, I have never felt anything in my heart that I gave two flips about. No offense. And I know that journalism has changed in a lot of ways and there's a lot of real, there can be very good journalism that comes from the passion of a fan. And I think there are people, there, there is journalism on this Ohio State beat that comes from the passion of a fan. Um, and some people really like consuming that and like consuming that better than what we do. And that's fine. And that's the thing that's changed the most in my career is that back in the day, there was none of that, you know, and now there is a lot of that. Um, but I don't have it. And I have covered my favorite team. My, t- I, Growing up, my, baseball was my favorite sport. I grew up in Pennsylvania. The Philadelphia Phillies were my favorite team. And my first major beat job, I covered the Phillies for four years as a traveling baseball beat writer. And the thing that happened with pro sports, which is different than college sports, is that when you cover pro athletes for a while, there are a lot of millionaire a-holes. And so it's like, wow, you played Mm -hmm. for my favorite team. You are a difficult person to be in a room with. Mm -hmm. And that beats it out of you pretty quick. And so like, not all of them, I would say the vast majority of college athletes are like good dudes. I would say the majority of millionaire pro athletes are a-holes. And so like when you're around that a lot, it's like, Okay, well, like whatever fandom is like, man, these guys are a lot to handle. And you know what? If I was a millionaire, I'm not a millionaire and I'm an a-hole. So it's like you get older and you're not as nice and the world, whatever, and you look out for yourself and you're not afraid to be a jerk to people. So I I never once, like it's weird almost, but it's almost across the board for me. I I don't even have that for the teams that I am supposedly a fan of anymore. It's been beaten out of me, and like, maybe some people would think that's bad, but I'm okay with it. I like movies.
0: I'm also the same age as like the people I cover on a daily basis. Right. So like, I might go out, like, if I'm out with my friends in the summertime, I'm liable to see Chase Young in the same place I'm at. So like, I mean, it's not like I'm covering Troy, I'm seven covering Troy Smith. Then maybe there's a little bit, but like, no. One time I went to BJ's
2: Brew Pub and I saw Corey
0: Lindsley there. Saw Jay-, Jay Sean Cornell out like before the season started. It's
2: um, weird. All right, we're gonna do a last couple things, and then we're gonna do a last thing. My <laughs> <Why> week question <laughs> in the three one six. Over the past five years, has it been harder to be a Browns fan or a Michigan fan? That's Billy from Kansas. Ooh. Michigan fan because Browns fans are used to losing. Michigan fans are used to being lo- used to being good, and I think. Being okay when you're used to being great is harder than being bad when you're used
1: to being bad. So, like,
2: I almost think some of this happening with the Browns is almost harder because there's expectations. It had been beaten out of Browns fans so much.
1: Well, I also think, like, Michigan, it's not like they're only winning six games a year. They also keep getting—they also keep having pretty good years but can't win the game that would make them great seasons.
2: And, like, they get their hearts broken more where it's like Browns fans have already had their hearts ripped out so that it can't be broken. Um, Browns broke my heart, Doug. Please give me three days before contacting me. That's from the 513. Let's do this last. Oh, Tyler Shoemaker. We can't have a podcast without him. 864. I thought Northwestern could potentially be a tough game. I no longer think that. Do you think Ohio State is spending this time specific this week specifically on Wisconsin? Like in the bye week, sometimes you can get ahead in game prep. We don't know. Let's let Nathan – Nathan, you were sort of on the maybe Northwestern as a tough game thing with the way things have evolved, and we change our evaluations the way things evolve. Are yeah. you thinking Friday night at Northwestern after the bye week could be tough?
1: No. I mean, I, I now know with six weeks of knowledge that Ohio State is better than I thought they were going in the season, and I think Northwestern is not as good as I thought they might be going in the season. Not that I thought they were going to be great necessarily. But I also think, again, it's very dangerous to start looking too far ahead. Um Northwestern's also got a bye week this week. I don't like using bye week. Oh, they off do? week. Yeah. Yes. They're both oh, off. Wow. I'm pretty sure they're both off this week. And so they've got an extra week just to prepare for Ohio State. And they sure as heck ain't looking past Ohio State. This is their, their big chance. So, um, I, I would, I, I think this week is again, it's more about, I don't know how much they're doing schematically preparing for anybody this week. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of talk today about introspection, self-evaluation, recuperation, both, Physical and mental, just getting guys off their feet, getting letting guys rest, letting guys just go have lives away from football for a couple days later this week. I think all those are more important to potentially beating Wisconsin than having film sessions about Wisconsin or certainly having reps about things that would apply only to Wisconsin and not to Northwestern. I think the coaches might be taking a peek at Wisconsin. Coaches, maybe. Coaches, maybe. But as far as like players, I don't think that happens because the they know.
0: Going be, I think some of these players are going to be watching Wisconsin,
2: but I, I don't think it'll happen in practice. It could be, but I think in some of the film session study, stuff, yeah, I think yeah. there's going to be some stuff of. Because you know, what, you know, if you do your thing against Northwestern, you're going to win. Not only is Wisconsin better, Wisconsin also does a specific thing.
1: Yes. All right. That is not what Northwestern does.
2: That is not basically what anybody does. I think that's basically we're at two hours, so I am giving people permission to turn off the podcast. We're going to end it with a little bit of the discussion of my venture to the mock committee in Texas to do this playoff thing. We have a question about it. I'm curious if Stephen and Nathan have any questions about it. I've written two stories about it. I'm going to write one more story about it. So if you don't care about the mock committee selection, that was Buckeye talk. You can leave. No offense. If you want to hear about this a little bit, this is like the bonus part. Um, let's, and I've, I've written about it. Extensively, After going to the mock committee from the 614, what does this Ohio State team have to do to cement itself into the playoff? Also, what would you most like to change about the process other than simply moving from four teams to eight? I think we've sort of discussed this. We've talked about a lot of playoff stuff. They are building up equity. They are in really good shape as long as basically the whole playoff is not undefeated teams, and the SEC is always an X-factor it, they're doing what the 2015 team did not do. And they, and they're doing what, the, as long as they don't have two losses, if they're a one loss team, they have looked so good. There are going to be people in that room who are going to believe they're one of the four best teams. They deserve to be in. And that discussion, I think, comes up more than I would have realized because that's part of my experience is like, there's just a lot of like intrinsic stuff in your heart that comes out because there's so many stats and so many results and so many variables that you almost have to resort to your gut and like like there's so many statistics like we wound up going back to results a lot so i think like the all these 40 point wins matter in 2015 they were not winning by 40 they had the talent that should have been winning by 40 but they weren't this year they have the talent and they are so you know I, style points and all that stuff I know style points don't matter it's something in you that is even subconscious in your evaluation of like man they've looked awesome and that seeps in to the process
1: well but I mean but look at the metrics that you know they gave you the sheets. Um, yes, I don't know if you if you put those out to or if people have seen those before, but they're team sheets. If you think about think about if you follow NCAA basketball selection, where everybody has a team sheet and there's a lot of different metrics on there, and and, and strength of schedule is even bigger there because you play so many teams. But it's you know there's it's color coded based on here's a here's a bunch of different metrics, and here are the ones that matter the most that correlate the most to either winning or who the team who the committee picks, and ones that don't, and the ones that correlate the most. The ones that were basically white next to them, because it went light to dark, and the lighter was the- right. So it was sc- offensive scoring, offense scoring, defense to a lesser extent, because um, sometimes that can include turnovers and things that sometimes involve more luck than whatever. And then, but then relative scoring differential, relative scoring, relative margin of victory, and that gets complicated because it's. It's not just your margin of victory; it's your margin of victory compared to what your margin of victory against what the average margin of victory against those teams would have been, um, which is sort of is like sort of like how much you're kicking butt. Yes, so it's it's all yeah. It's, it's the best way to say it. it's like how much is this team kicking butt? And like so, I for, for people who follow like I do it every Tuesday morning, I put a thing out, and I tried to take that sheet you loaned me and apply those top metrics to the teams that are really just to the nine undefeated teams that are in contention right now and Ohio State is number 1 but by not a huge margin over Alabama but also by kind of a clear margin over Alabama i thought ohio state's clearly the number 1 team alabama's clearly the number 2 team and then it kind of starts to slide a little bit uh but the tricky thing right now is the clemson question cuz clemson was like when you just have assigned like kind of a point system and like balance it all out i tried to do it a couple of different ways and clemson's coming out like 8th among the, these nine teams in terms of their actual resume. So I will tell you. But they're going to get in if they go into
2: Yeah. And, and again, if you guys have any particular questions, you can. I don't, I don't want to bore people with this and I'm writing about it so much. We redid the 2014 season. So that was the year Ohio State got in fourth ahead of TCU and Baylor, but number three was Florida State as the undefeated defending national champ who didn't look great. They are exactly Clemson. They're even in the same conference. Sure. And what happened in that room was, the way they played their, their stats, their results, it led you to really want to think about not putting them in. There were absolutely people in that mock room who were willing to not put Florida State in. I actually was not. I was oh, really? fighting for Florida State to be number three. Okay. Cause I'm a result, I'm a, I'm a results guy. And I can explain that if people care. But in the end, you could feel it. And last year's not supposed to matter. And people kept bringing up last year and other people kept saying, shut up. It doesn't matter. You cannot leave out the undefeated defending national champ. It just like they won all their games. And they're a legitimate program because they just won the whole thing last year. It doesn't matter if they win every game by a point and if they look like crap and they have six games they should have lost. They didn't lose. What are we doing? What world do we live in if we don't put them in? And you could feel how that happened. So to your point, Clemson's in. If they're undefeated, they're in. Now, if Ohio State's in, they're also in because they've looked awesome. But like, assuming, that comes assuming up they a keep lot. looking awesome, but I, but even like they've done enough. Like unless they collapse and lose and win every game by it, one point,
1: it's yeah, it's difficult to see them starting to only beat Maryland and right. Um, the only whoever thing that would be,
2: would be if like if Justin Fields got hurt, and if Justin Fields got hurt, then it's a whole reevaluation. Which is a different team yes. injuries absolutely factor in, and they would no longer even really look at Ohio State's right. first six results because they'd say that's not who this Ohio State team is. Correct. How's Chug look? How do they look with Chug? So. My takeaway, and if you read it, I did it as my third and short column on Sunday. I did a previous thing about how we arrived. My group was one of six mock committees this year. They've done this for five years. They did six different groups who did a mock committee this year. They did athletic directors. They did student journalists. They did bold donors and sponsors. They did a whole bunch of people and they also did national media. My group put Ohio State third that year. Ohio State actually was fourth. All six groups came up with the same top four, just in a different order. Baylor and TCU, who made the case that they should have been in, never got in. Now, I think that's affected by the fact that Ohio State, as the four seed, won it all. And because nobody could leave out the undefeated defending national champ, and because nobody's leaving Oregon and Alabama out, the only way TCU and Baylor was going to get into the mock thing would be to leave out the team that actually stinking won it and no human can process it enough to allow themselves to do that because you cannot take out what actually happened
0: not when you know what the result is
2: not when you know that they they beat Alabama yeah. and steamrolled Oregon like yeah. you're
0: supposed to but,
2: but you can't and, yeah
0: because you know it you know the outcome so it's harder to like actually do it so obviously, what actually happened
2: influences this when you're going backwards to do a fake thing. I'm curious how 2015, when they do that, will look because Ohio State actually finished seventh. Michigan State got in at number three as the Big Ten champ who beat Ohio State and got their doors blown off. So I might that might be the reverse effect of like, there was no way people were going to kick out number four Ohio State when they won it all. They might be more willing to kick out number three Michigan State mm-hmm. because when Michigan State got in, they proved they didn't belong. So I'll be curious to see how those things unfold. But it's not about what you do backwards. It's about what the process teaches you about what's going to come up next. It's impossible to do. It's information overload. And I think, and as I wrote, it is actually an insult to the people involved in college football, players, coaches, fans. It's an insult. And I know a lot of you have arrived there already. And a lot of people, I got in a fight. I got in a Twitter fight with the play-by-play announcer for the Dallas Mavericks. Because he, like, quote-tweeted my story. And I said, like, being part of the mock committee made me realize we need an 18 playoff. And he was like, all due respect, but how could you not realize this earlier? And I was like, all due respect, cram it up your cram hole, play-by-play guy. I hate that. Don't all due respect quote-tweet me. That I, I would rather you punch me in the face than, the, than you all due respect quote-tweet my story. Like, this, just disagree with me, but don't use my tweet. I'm not coming to fight with you. Don't make a point off my work, you freaking play-by-play guy. Oh, my God, I wanted to fight that guy.
0: I mean, they, he, technically, I mean, he promoted your stuff, though. To his audience of <laughs> Dallas Mavericks fans. Yeah, but like... I he was promoted. like, it's all
2: about
1: clicks. It's yeah, all about I clicks. Know.
2: And then I went in jerk mode, and, and I was like, well... I'm one of the best writers in college football, so yeah, I think I arrived at my opinion, okay? And he's like, well, I'm a Heisman voter or whatever, and I was like... Everybody's
1: a Heisman yeah. voter. Shut it, dude. Are you sure this woman walking in front of us is a Heisman
2: I'm just saying, yeah. like,
0: no press is bad press, man.
2: No Twitter fight is a bad Twitter Yeah,
0: somebody fight. clicked on your stuff because that idiot decided to quote tweet you. I get in too many fights. It's okay.
2: They have no, to go not. to an 18 playoff. I had always thought, and I just explained this to another person, I'll explain it to you and then I'll shut up. I thought the four-team playoff was such an improvement over the BCS because it was four instead of two, because it was a committee instead of stupid pollsters and, and computers whose formula we didn't know. I thought it was such an improvement, and I thought the wear and tear on the players of an eight-game playoff, I thought the logistical stuff of figuring it all out made me think, you know what, this four thing is okay. It's not perfect, but it's okay. Are you guys four or eight, or have you had strong eight. opinions? Or oh, I'm, I'm at least eight. Okay. I've been at eight. For like even before I had this job. So, so the, yeah. the point to me is that I was a person who was okay with four. I hated the BCS and I hate poll voters. Yeah. But I was okay with four because I get it that you're getting into a world that's messier with the bowl system, are you going to eliminate conference championship games? Are you going to eliminate a regular season game? Are you actually going to ask Division One college football players who aren't getting play- paid to play a 16-game NFL schedule? Is that what we're really going to do, even if it's only two teams? They're not getting paid. That's an extra—and it's top-level competition that when the game you're adding is against the other best, most physical team in the country, that's like adding three games. You're not adding another Mac school. So I got it. I got the idea that eight is dangerous ground to me. But in conclusion, as a guy who is okay with the four, four is more dangerous ground. Cause at the moment, you are playing an entire season. You are risking brains and bodies. You are spending billions of dollars and, and toying with the heartache of millions of fans for something that is fraudulent at its core with the way it does it. Not because of the 13 people in the room, but that it was a fraudulent idea to ever believe that they could come to the right decision because there is no right decision. Because you can find, you can make the stats work for you. There is no criteria. There is no thing you're supposed to value above everything else. And the result is you can wind up in a world where one person who changes their mind for no reason And changes a 13-member panel from a 7-6 vote this way to a 7-6 vote that way. They don't have to explain their vote. They don't have to say what it's based on. They could be swayed by an opinion in the room. That person can decide whether 85 scholarship players, another 25 walk-ons, 10 assistant coaches, a head coach, an entire university, and an entire fan base gets to play for a national championship or not. And that is
1: nuts. And to me, it's going to eight will ultimately strengthen the sport. Because at some point, rather not just the legitimacy of the national championship would be enhanced. I I do believe that's true. But at some point, these teams you're talking about, the TCUs, the Boise States, the UCFs, they need to have their chance, their moment to potentially prove themselves at that level that goes beyond the whims of a group of people in a room.
0: It would shut some people, like, it would shut, like, in all, like, it would shut the UCF fan base up when they're going, we're the true national champions. Maybe, or maybe or they, they go, might, that, or yeah. they go in there and, and that's spring what, an upset. And that's what, what makes the NCAA, NCAA tournament so great, is right. that like, every so often, a team who's not supposed to win wins. Now, well, it's know, not every so often, it's every
1: year something yeah, wins. But like, and it's I, like, I, yeah, the thing that makes the, the NCAA tournament great isn't necessarily, I mean, more often than not, chalk wins in the NCAA tournament. More often than not, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. Those are the so teams that are there at the end play, in the final four.
0: i can get them. Yeah,
1: every every once in a while. So I don't know if it changes necessarily the the you're going to have crazy teams coming in and going on crazy runs to win national championships. But I think it just, it strengthens the sport when more teams get to be involved in this conversation. It's, it's always really set wrong with me. It's why I'd love to just blow it up and go 16 teams or whatever. I know that's unrealistic, but eight would at least let you bring in this next level, this, that, that next tier of teams. And it would, it, it would cancel out some of these, um, these impossible, as you say, impossible to decide arguments.
2: I will say you can, Get ready to shoot bullets at me again I don't care about UCF and Boise State at all. I could i zero percent care about them because they are never they are never going to win the national championship never bullets in material but it I get that' so <laughs> different than basketball I know but I understand that, that, that's not that, I, I don't dispute that my eighteen thing. Could not have less to do with getting in a non-power think, five. Team. Yeah, I know you're you're saying like
0: get like all five power five champions should be it.
2: That is but to weird. me, yeah, so to me, it's that, also not just three
0: at-large at bids for like a UCF to possibly get in. Yeah, and to me, it's not just that about just getting
1: with non-power five schools in. It's about getting that team that loses early and then goes on a great run and ends up being the fifth team in the vote. That team gets to be now involved. They just it, the more teams you can involve up to a point. Huh. I think it strengthens the validity of your championship. My,
2: my point is to let people win their way in and to take it out. It's too subjective. Right. And if you say conference champs win their way in, honestly, if you reduced it from five power conferences to four power conferences, which some people have said eventually will happen. Right. And you end up with four 16 team conferences, then I'm fine because then it would just be those four anyway. And then you could be subjective about the seating, but you have to let people win their way in. And so if you want to say that the best non-Power 5 team, but that's still subjective. There's going to be some subjectivity to an 8, but the 5 guaranteed things, Ohio State would have gotten in all these years. Penn State would have gotten in. Um, I I don't even know who are the other schools that didn't get in, but like you winning your conference gets you in rather than trying to evaluate a world where everyone plays different numbers of conference games. Everybody plays different non-conference schedules. It's too unfair. And I actually... The meanest that anybody got in the room was when I was like a sarcastic jerk to somebody who brought up a point about the non-power five teams, and I said, "I don't even know why we're talking about them. That's not the point." And he said, "Well, then why isn't? Why don't we just have it be the power five playoff?" And I said, "It is the power five playoff. Like, wrap your head around it. We're not here whether Boise State is twelfth or fifteenth. Like, I don't care. But I know. But, but the we only- have to figure out how the power conference champs." Get a legitimate shot at this. That's based on on on-field stuff.
1: But the only way for those, the only way for a non-power-five school to win its way in is if you go beyond four teams.
2: No, I know, and but I'm saying that I want to go beyond four teams. But the reason I want to go beyond four has zero to do with them, because my point is. We have shown, the process showed me truly how close it is between four and five, and the problem is number four has won the national championship twice. So the issue for me is you're deciding four and five, and often they're both champs, or number five is a champ being left out, and that team is absolutely good enough to win the national championship, and you're deciding that even though they won their conference, they don't have a right to play for the national championship because what? Because two people in this room randomly changed their mind in the last half hour.
1: Well, use the TCU example. Weren't you the one—didn't you say that TCU and Ohio State never really got compared head-to-head in all of those ways that you guys did it because Ohio State ended up being third on yours? So. That changes everything too. If you just had, if Ohio State had just been fourth, like they actually were, and you were comparing Ohio State and TCU head to head, maybe TCU TCU gets in
2: because they were a champ. They were a co-champ of the Big 12 that year. But I just think it's, and it applies so much to Ohio State because they've been the non-champ. They've made it as a non-champ. They've barely made it as a champ. They've not made it as a champ twice. They've not made it as a non-champ that had a good resume. Like it, they've been. On the good side of it and the bad side of it and like having gone through it, I can't believe all those five years that that was what it came down to because if I was Urban Meyer or Ryan Day or Gene Smith or Michael Drake or any Ohio State fan and that was what it came down to, I'd want to puke. He's Nathan. He's Steven. I'm Doug. That was super long. It was a bonus thing at the end. We appreciate appreciate you guys hanging with us. Cleveland.com slash OSU for our stories and more information on Project Text, 14-day free trial. Text from me in your phone. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Lots of stuff coming this week. We'll be at Northwestern the following Friday. And just as a point of information, if you follow our coverage next week, the Ryan Day News Conference will be on Monday instead of Tuesday, and then we'll talk to players on Tuesday instead of Wednesday because they're playing on Friday instead of Saturday. So the whole week next week will be moved up, which means instead of Monday being a little bit of a down day in terms of no live coverage, there will be a bunch of live coverage next Monday coming off the buy. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Time.